This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad? Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom, and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everyone, this is Declan Goff wishing you a happy Memorial Day. We're going to be throwing it back on the Mackie and Judd podcast feed to the first ever Mackie and Judd from 2014. Hey Judd. Hey Phil, what's up? What's going on, dude? I'm great. How are you? Listen, uh, this is going to be a little bit awkward, but I figure we're starting this new show and I just wanted to straighten a couple things out. I know the last two guys you've worked with have wound up, let's just say, working elsewhere after a year and... You know, I, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on that and and make sure we're My both on, on the same page. Yeah, dude, I don't think it's a big deal. I mean, I've tried two hosts before; it didn't work. But I mean, I'm, I'm a hardworking guy. Yeah, I'm gonna come here and work the, hard every day. The thing is, I do think it's a big deal, and I'd I'd really like to be doing this for a while. It's it's the career path I'm on, and I'm just a little nervous that uh, you know we're we're, we're going to wind up with the same fate as you know what, Phil. We haven't done a show together yet. Last week we sat down and did that thing for the website and had some fun with it. But I'm getting really sick of this whole thing. You know. If I'm being demoted to second name, you're going from drive time. You're being demoted too. I wouldn't call. It's not, I wouldn't say it's a demotion. To it's what they're trying to create a younger show. They're moving me off drive to create a younger vibe. You and I, kind of a show of the future. It's not a demotion. So essentially, you're telling me at 44, I have an age discrimination case against this company. Is that what you're saying? You're being demoted, dude. Just accept it. Shut up, Judd. You shut up. Let's just try to handle the opening snap better than the Broncos did. Okay. Phil Mackey. I just wanted to know that if all that was left of you was your smile and your little finger, I'd still be more of a man than anyone I've ever met. That's because you know what I can do with my little finger. Judd Zolgad. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Short kick. Percy Harmon with the catch. He's on the run. He breaks free. He's across the 40. The speed. There he goes. Midfield. Look out. He's going to go. Take the second half kickoff all the way back. Baby. 88 yards for a touchdown. We knew Percy was going to do it tonight. Touchdown, Seahawks. No flags. Are you kidding me? Like I said, like I said, going to play two games, like I said, and come up, what, second place probably in the, do we do we know who finished second in the Super Bowl MVP voting? Or is no. it only revealed who wins the Super Bowl MVP voting? I think it's MVP only revealed voting? who wins the Super Bowl MVP voting, but how about Percy Harvin? Did I not tell you last week? I, I saw this coming. Here's the best He's part. That good. The first tweet I saw when I woke up this morning, in fact, I'm going to find it right now, because you just proved it right off the bat here. Uh, this is for, I think it was Matt O'Connell. Yes, yeah, it was. Matt O'Connell from yep. Gopher Illustrated. Hey, at Phil Mackey, please don't let your first show be four hours of Judd patting himself on the back about Percy. We'll give you 30 seconds right now to hour? pat yourself on the back about Percy. It? Go ahead. The floor is yours for 30 seconds to pat yourself on the back about Percy. So I'm working with your uh, former co-host Saturday morning, correct? And I run my Percy theory by him. He says, listen, 
you can't just come back and play in a game and be great. I said, this is Harvin. He is a freak of nature. He's the smart. He's one of the smartest athletes I've ever seen, and he is so gifted. And you know what? Percy Harvin now has that his good friend and longtime NFL player and future Hall of Famer doesn't have, Randy Moss, a Super Bowl title. That's correct. He now has a Super Bowl title. And the greatest thing about this is, how did we perceive that trade, the Harvin trade, until yesterday? What was the perception? Well, the Vikings had... Everything went wrong for the Vikings after, right? But it was a great trade, right? And now I think you tweeted this. A bunch of people did. Everybody's happy. The Seahawks, they really didn't... I mean, they were good enough to get to the playoffs without him anyways. I mean, to go deep like they did last year without him. So you knew that they were going to be a playoff team without Percy Harvin. They probably win the Super Bowl last night without Percy Harvin. But if there was any question as to whether or not both teams won that trade, don't you think when the the Broncos go into halftime thinking, well, this... This is a tough hole to dig out of, but if we can score first in the second half, we're back in this game. And Percy Harvin houses the opening kickoff to basically ice the Super Bowl. Yep. Now he didn't. It wasn't you know it wasn't uh, NHL style game winning goal or anything because obviously the Broncos only scored eight points. But Percy Harvin put that game to bed off the start in the second half, and the, for that reason alone, the yep. Seahawks are perfectly content today, having given up a first round pick, a third round pick, and then obviously the Vikings used the money to sign Greg Jennings too. So here's a question for you. What would it take if I told you that the Vikings could win a Super Bowl, but they were going to get, really, if you look at it, ripped off in a trade? If Herschel Walker had won the Vikings a Super Bowl and gone in the toilet after that, and the Vikings gave up all they did, what would our perception of the Herschel Walker trade be now if they had won a title? You wouldn't care about the draft picks. But I think about how we talk about that trade. Worst trade in the history of the league. Mm -hmm. Complete embarrassment. The Seattle Seahawks got... Really, they got a part of one game from Harvin. I I don't include the Vikings game in November as a Harvin game because he played in that game for purely selfish reasons. He played, he shouldn't have played in that game. What did he have, like two catches in that game? But he also had a big kickoff return. He was good, but yeah. that's not my point. My point is they could have won that game. They didn't need Harvin to beat the Vikings. The Vikings stunk. Okay, so Percy plays in that game because Percy is, at heart, a very selfish guy. But he tried to play in the playoff game against the Saints, and the Saints were smart enough to knock his block off because they knew if they did that, it would be a good move. But you really got one full game from Percy Harvin, and you gave up a ton to do it. But the trade-off is you won a Super Bowl, and he really helped you do it. Well, then here's the question. Can you compare this – is, this is, this is going to be a really bizarre comparison, but stick with me. Can you compare the Seattle Seahawks winning the Super Bowl and, and the perceived value that Percy Harvin added yesterday? They would have won that game most likely without Percy Harvin. Mm-hmm. I mean, he sets up the big – Right off the bat, 33-yard, uh, Was it? I guess it was technically a run play. 33 yards right off the bat. Yep. Sets him up for, for a score down there. Yep. Um, remember when the Twins traded for Matt Capps? This is a totally different level because they didn't win the World Series. But the Twins had thumped their chest and said, we traded for Matt Capps because he, you know, he was going to help us win the division. Matt Capps helped us win the division that year. Mm-hmm. Well, the Twins were playoff bound by something like eight games that year. And so the value of Matt Capps for Wilson Ramos wasn't the difference between them making the playoffs or not in 2010. Right. So giving up Wilson Ramos was a bad trade, even if they would have gone on to win the World Series that year. So I guess even though today I think both teams could make a case, the Seahawks and the Vikings, that they won that trade, that both teams are happy, the Seahawks probably win the Super Bowl without Percy Harvin. Not to denigrate his performance yesterday. Baseball, to me, Phil, is a different animal in this sense. Baseball, especially with a team like the Twins in this market, when you make the Caps trade, it's about proving you're willing to put your neck on the line to get a player who will help you 
and you give up a top-notch prospect. That's baseball. Football, number one, you don't have that many trades made. Trades in the National Football League, like the Harvin trade, don't happen a lot. And football is such an immediate sport. I mean, there's not as many games as baseball. And the Harvin trade is interesting to me. And this might be the only, football might be the only sport where you could actually have this conversation. If you get, if the C, if Harvin retires tomorrow, and the Seattle he still Seahawks, has three years left in this contract, right, too, which is say, a whole other part of the conversation. But let's say he retires tomorrow. Was it worth the trade? Because I think if you're a Seahawks fan, you could make an argument. He helped you. There's no question. If he retires tomorrow, it's not worth it for the Seahawks. But what I'm saying. he did. But, they didn't need him to win yesterday. See, all right. But as you said yourself, he helped put the dagger in in the third quarter. And Seattle, that game yesterday was weird. I Mike and Mike were talking today about when that game, when it was really put away, and they brought up the fact that the third quarter opening, third quarter kickoff return by Harvin was the key. But didn't you feel like there were two, to me there's two places where that game went sideways, and I was really disappointed it did, but it did. The opening snap that went for the safety. It actually went backwards, not sideways. That, yeah. was, that was the well, biggest problem with... Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. But it, So you get the opening snap, it goes for a safety, okay? Which and, it could have easily been a touchdown. Yep. Had uh, Seattle pounced that it could it could have been instead of eight to nothing after the first three scores it probably should have been something like you know well safety play it could oh, have been could sixteen have been to nothing or, or, or twenty something. But my point nothing. is there was still a lot of time left and so I so I refused to say oh, oh the game you know this is a big deal it was a big deal in retrospect now I thought Denver would recover they didn't but as you said too what do they do Seattle comes out with Harvin and runs a creative play and here's where Harvin was huge for them. And I still contend this. When they did use Harvin yesterday, Denver didn't know how to defense it. Denver's defense, number one, wasn't that good. And number two, Del Rio, and this is what I said all last week, they have no film of this guy. Mm-hmm. And that was clear. Yeah. If if Seattle had Harvin all season, you know as well as I do, that that play that Harvin ran to get the 30-plus yards at the start of the game. Refresh me. Was that was that one of the jet sweeps? Yes, and but you they know there's they had no defense for that play they know, ran like three times. But if Harvin plays in sixteen games or fourteen games or thirteen games, you know Bevel had would have used that, right? And when you use that, then it's on film. And if you're the Broncos, you say we can sniff it out. The Broncos probably had an idea that Harvin could be used like that, but they had no definite answer to it. Here's what threw off the Seahawks. All you have to do is look at the box score too. Because and I was we had Pelissero on uh, the afternoon show, Ricey and Mackey, uh, the finale last Friday. And, Very emotional, and it was a yeah. lot of crossover. There was here. a lot of awkward hugging. You're referring after it was to your over. old show. It's sort of like you have a, si- a, a spin-off sitcom now. Yeah, at least at least at least my old co-hosts are still employed here. That's a good point. Um, well, that was that, that, that might have been a little mean. That was yeah. Very mean. But very if you look at the mean. box score, my theory was the Broncos have such Jonathan an underrated Jones, defense. Definitely. Yeah, the Broncos have such an underrated defense, and Marshawn Lynch probably wasn't going to go off for more than about forty yards against that defense. Mm-hmm. And so my theory was. If you take away Marshawn Lynch and all of a sudden it becomes kind of Russell Wilson against Peyton Manning, and you give Peyton Manning two weeks in a film room to prep for something that he knows is going to add to his legacy and maybe make him the greatest of all time, he's not completely tuning that talk out. I thought, well, give me Peyton Manning eight times out of ten. Marshawn Lynch, 15 carries for 39 yards, two and a half yards per carry. Yep. But, oh, the jet sweep action... Whether you know Percy Harvin only had a couple carries for four, for forty five yards though, yep. and Russell Wilson ran it three times for twenty five or thirty yards, and so the running game got off, but it wasn't Marshawn Lynch, and that's where I failed to analyze this at the end of the but week. That's my, I thought, but that was who, my point. Who, who was to think that Percy Harvin even just faking a handoff to him in the jet sweep formation would open things up? Hold and on, I, I, in my new position here, idiot I was for not realizing that. In my new position here, I have to look. Hey, Dave Harrigan, who knew that was going to happen? 
I, I gave you 30 seconds to pat your back earlier on the Percy Harvin front. Yes, you did. But I'm telling you, he, he was such a threat just being on the field. He was that big a threat. Whenever he was on the field, the Broncos had to try and account for him, and they didn't know what he was going to do. And that was my point. You know what else we learned yesterday? And he's that good. We learned that the Broncos are the best team in NFL history at getting waxed in Super Bowls. Okay, question for you. They are the they they've had the four largest halftime deficits in Super Bowl history. If four Broncos games, halftime deficit. If you're a Broncos fan, Phil Mackey, would you prefer because they've won two now, right? John Elway won two at the end of his career. Would you? Pre- they've lost five now. Right. So you're two and five, but you've won two. My point is, you're not one five. You've gotten waxed. Would you rather get beaten as soundly as they did yesterday where it's just third quarter, if you want, you could turn it off, it's over? Or would you prefer to have lost five Super Bowls by close margins where it's a heartbreaker every time? I think it would actually be easier at 2-5. and five, I think if you were to go to Vikings fans and say, okay, you're 0-4, but we can make you 2-4 and four or 2-5, and five, but when you lose, every time you lost, you were going to get absolutely annihilated. I think that would be easier to take. I don't know because... I guess I don't really buy into that theory. Like either way, it sucks if you're a fan or if you're Peyton Manning but or John Elway. Ask John Elway that question back in the '80s. Hey, you thought you're coming off some dominating performances in the AFC playoffs, and you think you're going to go in and play competitively against the 49ers? Although they had to know going in those late '80s games. I mean, against the 49ers, you're going into a a buzzsaw in some of those games. But you know, for instance, uh, Super Bowl 22 against the Redskins. And they, didn't they take a lead in that game, too? Weren't they up like 10 to nothing or 7 to nothing in that game? Yeah, I think you're right. And all of a sudden, Doug Williams goes off for 35 points in the second quarter. I don't think it matters. If you're a fan, obviously you, you, don't, you don't want to be strong. And Vikings fans know from the NFC Championship games in 98 and 2009. I guess flip it around for Vikings fans. Would you rather get eked, out, a- eked out at the end of 98 or 2009 with the Brett Favre interception 12th man on the field, or was it easier to take... 2000, 41 to nothing against the Giants. In I fact, 651-646-8255-877-615-1500 if anyone wants to chime in. I, th- Judd. I think it's easier to get blown out. 41 donut, we joke about. But you know the game's over after I know, well, but, five but, minutes but, into the second saying, quarter. So. But what I'm saying is when I talk to you being a Vikings fan, Phil, and I talk to you about 98 or 2009, you would never put 41 Donut in that conversation. 41 Donut you just walked away from and said this was just a colossal failure and a joke. 98 and 2009 rip your heart out. And so why don't so we, what's easier to take? Why don't we put 41 Donut in that conversation because the game was not competitive. It wasn't it didn't even though you were on the doorstep of the Super Bowl, it never felt like you were on the doorstep of the Super Bowl because you were down 14 to nothing after the first 5 minutes. We're getting a couple calls on this too. Um hold, wanna, hold tight. Take him or do you want to Let's do this. Hold tight cuz we've got to get to I'll just say this. We can we can finally make a definitive statement about Peyton Manning, too. We have to get to that. Mackie and Judd. This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Phil, I think we got some phone calls. How about uh, Daryl on line one? Daryl on line one. We're talking about, well, I guess the question you threw out last segment if you're a Vikings fan, and you can apply this to Broncos fans too, when your team's in a big game, NFC Championship, Super Bowl, would you rather just have the Band-Aid ripped off right away like 41 Donut or be strung along? Which one is worse? We go to Daryl in Burnsville on line one. You're on Mackie and Jeb. What's up, Daryl? Morning, gentlemen. How you guys doing? Good, good. Um, well, I'm 35, so I've seen the 98-99 season, 0-9, 0-1. Look, uh, 0-1, 
like 14 nothing right away. It's like, okay, game's over, whatever. 98-99, you're in there the whole time. It's like, come on. Then you're second-guessing. Why'd you take a knee? Gary Anderson, why'd you miss a field goal? Mm-hmm. All nine. Refs, why didn't you call some of them late hits on Brett Favre, the high-low hits? If it's a blowout, it's like, okay, game over. Let's mm-hmm. see what, what else is on now. It's it's simple. It's easier to take a blow-off than it is a blowout than a heart-wrenching loss. And I'll, I'll tell you what, too, and thanks for the call there, Daryl. To me, 98 and, and 2009, Judd, are so much different and that the whole 98 season just felt like this inevitable crescendo to a Super Bowl title. Yep. It never at any point until right before overtime, it never at any point felt like the Vikings were going to lose to the Falcons. It never felt like they weren't going to win the Super Bowl. No, really? See, as a as a guy who's who's followed sports in this town longer than you, I thought, my because I was there in 98, the first half was almost a celebration. I've always said this. The first half against the Falcons felt like a celebration of, we're all going to Miami. Yeah. It, it's inevitable. They can't lose this game. And then was it Chuck Smith who beat Todd Stusey at the very end of the first half and Cunningham fumbled? And I remember thinking, remember what town you're in. Remember what you've seen here. And, and see, so maybe I that was my felt, naivety as a 12-year-old, and, having not been through the 70s and as a 28-year-old, as a 28-year-old at the time, I'm watching that thinking to myself, after that happened, the wheels are starting to come off. What's going to go wrong? But so that's very interesting. You saw it as a kid very differently than I observed it because I thought I saw the second half as it, it was teetering the whole time. It was like, oh my god, something's going to go wrong here. But so I guess semantics. I I didn't think that until into the fourth quarter. But 2009, it always kind of felt like you're bracing for what happened in 1998. And it wasn't until because Peterson fumbled three times. They tur- the Vikings turned the ball over five or six times in that game Harvin, against the Saints. I think Harvin fumbled for the first time all season. And do you remember the key to me in 2009 when the Vikings had the game for the taking was the Saints turned the ball over deep in their territory. And that's the that's the Peterson fumble that was actually charged to Favre at the right. goal line. And nobody scored. And I remember thinking, they're going to go in for a touchdown here. This is going to be, this could turn into a route. And it is incredible. If you go back and look at the game book from 2009, Phil, Statistically, the Vikings annihilated them. If you look at the, if you don't look at the fumbles and you just look at the stats from that game, but the fumbles, you would say there is no way the Vikings mm-hmm. lost that game. So that was very different. But 2009, you also had the Childress factor in 2009. You also had things started to come unglued a little bit at the end, end of that season. That was the whole Favre meltdown in Carolina. And then the overtime loss when Winfield, who was hurt, got beat by Aroma Shadu yeah. in Chicago. So 2009, you had some inklings of this is a really good team. Yeah, you, you had a bunch of padding. It was, it but was Brad just, could derail this. And that's, Brad that's, helped and that's derail my it. point because it wasn't, to me anyways, it wasn't until two minutes to go in that game where finally you thought, for the first time, after all the fumbles, after all the turnovers, and the Vikings are driving, and far pit Sidney Rice for 18 yards, and they go into Saints territory, and you're thinking, whoa, wait a second, can we, we can let our guards down. I looked at, they're going to uh, kick a game-winning field goal, and they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I looked at Chip Scoggins that day in the Superdome press box, and I said, they're going to the Super Bowl. And Chip said, yeah, I think you're right. And from there, I completely jinxed them. <laughs> Let's go to Don in Ohio on line two. You're on Mackie and Judd. Hi, guys. Congratulations, by the way, on the new show. Uh, hey, Don. Uh, hey, God, Judd. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you? Oh, fantastic. What's happening in Ohio uh, this morning? What's that? What's happening in Ohio this morning? Uh, snow. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> give us uh, your thoughts on blowout or tight loss in big games. Oh, give me, give me as, a, as a Vikings fan, give me a tight loss because it just allows us to add on to the misery. Because, let's be honest, do we ever get enough misery? I mean, it gets old after a while, talking about the 98 and 2009. 
and even like the 2003 when we lose to the, uh, the Cardinals on the last play when we are running the whole way with the division for the entire year. We need something new for the, to allow the pain to continue for us as Vikings fans. That actually brings me to my grand theory, Don, and thanks for the call from Ohio. See you, Don. What would this town be like if we went on a run like Boston did, where you just roll off five or six titles in a short time across multiple sports? What would the personality of sports fans be in this town? I don't know we could we take it. We're such defeatists I don't know for good we reason. Could, I don't know we could take it. Are the Vikings not the Cubs? In a lot of ways, I now think of the Vikings as because the Lions can't be the Cubs because the Lions just stink. The Vikings aren't the Cubs for two reasons. Well, longevity, obviously, but the Vikings are frequently good in the regular season uh, and then get crushed in the playoffs. Okay. The Cubs have been to the playoffs maybe three times in the last 40 years. But the Marlins playoff series. That was Vikings esque. That, that was, was Vikings. That was very much Vikings esque. In, yes. in fact, you have a fan to blame. If we could find a fan to blame for something <laughs> that went wrong with the Vikings, let me give you the three year run that would test my theory here. It's the Buffalo Bills, 93, 94, 95 Super Bowls. You lose that game to the Giants 2019 on the Scott Norwood miss in 91, okay? So that rips your heart out. The next year you come back, you go back to the Super Bowl, you lose 37 24. So by 13, that's not awful, but it's not good. And then the next year you come back again and you lose 52 to 17. And then you lose a fourth time, 30 to 13, both times to Dallas. But that three year run of a close loss to the Giants, which is one of the most historic losses when we think of close yeah. Super Bowl losses, then you get beat pretty soundly by Washington, but not blown out. And then you get completely annihilated by Dallas. That would test my theory. I think you're right. Yeah, if you're a I'm, Bills fan, which one would you rather have? I'm coming around to your side. The 41 donut really puts it into perspective. You're 100% right. We don't even think of 41 Donut in the same conversation as 98 and 2009, and it's because of what you just said. It's They're, they're all on the same table. And we joke the about got 41 ripped Donut. Off two and a half hours early. And we joke about that one. And the other thing, 41 Donut came in a season where I don't think that much was expected. And we were partially right about that because the next year things started to go downhill. But 98 turned into this, 98 morphed into this, as you said, just phenomenal season where almost nothing could go wrong. 2009 was far, was special. 2009, I don't even know how to put that into context because that was such a weird year where they finally get Brett Favre. They finally, Childress finally comes around. And it, it's so funny with Brad because you go from 2009 with Brad where things were going pretty well, great to pretty well at times, right? And then it comes apart in the Superdome and it was never the same. Speaking of Brett Favre, he was sporting a Judd Zolgad, Silver Fox, full beard. Can we play the game? Network. Can we play the game more homeless? We've got some great audio from Brett Favre on NFL Network. If you missed the uh, 17-hour pregame show, we're going to play later on, probably in the, the 10 or 11 o'clock hours. On, on yesterday in particular, we haven't really seen... We went through a stretch in the 90s, including those three Bills Super Bowl losses at the end of that four-year run. Mm-hmm. All blow. We went seven or eight years in a row, all non-competitive blowout games, the three Bills games... Uh, Niners and Chargers wasn't competitive. Cowboys and Steelers wasn't competitive. Pa- I don't think Packers Patriots was either because the the Packers jumped out in in, uh, in that game. But lately, you know, it was forty three to eight yesterday. You know, Saints Colts was a two touchdown game a few years ago, but that was close until late and Peyton uh, Peyton Manning threw an interception. Yep. But even you know the Giants Patriots, the Steelers Cardinals went right down to it. Steelers Packers went right down to it. The second Patriots-Giants game went right down to it. I was going to say, you go back to 2001, Baltimore 34, Giants 7. But this was this was really disappointing. This game yesterday was like I've thought of Super Bowls for a long time. I think we got in the habit of saying it's always a blowout, which if you look at it, it's totally not true of late. But 
I picked Seattle, but I picked them 26-24. I thought this was going to be a really fun game to watch. I was really disappointed. Was this kind of like, in some ways, Buccaneers-Raiders in 2003? You'd have to refresh me a little bit, but we're talking about one of the greatest defenses of all time, which I think you can put the Seahawks here, not necessarily with the 85 Bears, but this year's Seahawks defense, got to be a top 10 or top 15 defense all time when you consider the Super Bowl route and everything. Uh, But that Raiders team 11 years ago, Rich Gannon might have been the MVP that season or the season before, but you're talking about MVP caliber quarterback at his peak in an offense that was clicking with veterans, maybe not to the degree of historically good offenses like the Broncos were this last year, but you thought in 2003, all right, one of the best defenses going up against a high-powered offense, and that was a 48-21 massacre too. I'm, I'm trying to think of examples where a top defense went in against a top offense, right. and, and offense, it was the other way around where the right. offense dominated, and I don't think that happens. An offense, now we consider this to be, be such an offensive league, and, and offense is king and all that, but Seattle... But here's my question about yesterday, and I can't, I can't sort this one out. Seattle's defense is very good. I mean, they're very, very good. But I'm sorry, I can't, I can't watch yesterday's game as I'm seeing it unfold and just say this is all about Seattle's defense. They played really well, but man... The Broncos were out of sorts from the get-go, and Peyton, Peyton was struggling. I mean, Peyton had a lot of completions because he had to, but think about, think about what their passing game became. It became this dink and dunk just trying to get down the field, and it was sort of pathetic at times. We need to talk more about Peyton Manning next. Mackie and Judd. Ready for another chance to earn points and score some amazing prizes? Your 1,500 ESPN rewards. Listen and win code is revealed now. Collect points, grab prizes, 1500 ESPN Awards, 1500ESPN.com. You will collect 100 points. All you have to do is enter that listen and win code correctly and use those points, build them up to get some great prizes through the 1500 ESPN Awards program. Your 930 listen and win code word is blowout. Easy enough, all one word, blowout. Enter that correctly, get rewarded for listening. It's 1500 ESPN Awards at 1500ESPN.com. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You two jabronis don't even have enough class to introduce yourself? What is your name? It doesn't matter what your name is! Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. So... Here's my theory on Peyton Manning. Now, this is a better chair. Yes, go This ahead. is going to be... I, I do agree. I was listening to a little bit of Mike and Mike this morning. I do agree with the first part of what Greeny was saying, that this is going to be a nauseating conversation about his legacy for a long time, because it's just going to get overplayed. But why is it but nauseating? It's, it's important. It's, but there's valid points to be made. Yes. Peyton Manning, some of its longevity and just by being in the playoffs every year, now has the most playoff losses of any quarterback in history. I think this is what you can definitively say about Peyton Manning going forward, at least until and if he wins another Super Bowl. We'll see what happens next year. But if his career ended right now today, I think you can definitively say he's the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. But when you expand the conversation out to greatest overall quarterback of all time, you can't ignore the fact that his performance drops off, whether it's 90% his fault or some combination of teammates choking or bad coaching Whatever it is, he hasn't performed the way in the in the postseason the way that he does in the regular season. For the sake of this conversation, let's only focus on yesterday's game because it's fresh in our minds. We watched the whole thing, okay? To me, in sports, a very important part of any conversation like this is the eye test because we can you can turn statistics however you want. You can say the offensive line didn't play well. Mm-hmm. 
From the opening snap of that game, which went over his head, did Peyton Manning look comfortable or in control to you? He had no control at any point. Even though he set the record for most completions which, of any which, but that, quarterback in the Super but that's Bowl, once again the how most you, deceiving number of all time. And that's how you can turn stats on their head, because mm-hmm. what were the completions? They were dink, dinks and dunks. That see, Seattle would have given up 67 of those. If you told Seattle, here's the deal. Manny's going to complete 94 passes, and every one of them, for the most part, is not going to get to the sticks. It's going to be just, and you're going to be able to tackle the guy in front of you. And by the way. And you're going to have a 20-point lead quick, when this too, is happening, too. God bless the Seahawks. They might be the only team in this league that actually tackles guys. They're tackling. Their fundamentals are great. But anyway, back to the point. Peyton Manning yesterday does not, you cannot argue that he passed the eye test. He looked like he was out of control. He looked as out of control the whole game as Favre did late in his career, late in huge games. 19 or 2007, when Favre threw the overtime pass, his last pass as a Packer against the Giants at Lambeau mm-hmm. in that championship game, that was a god awful, inexcusable pass. It didn't pass the eye test. 2009 against the Saints. Favre throws back in the middle of the field for Sidney Rice. And I know he hated Bernard Berrien, but Bernard Berrien is wide open on the sideline. And I don't care how hurt he was. All he had to do was straighten out, look at Berrien. He didn't pass the eye test. We can do whatever we want with stats and argue about this and that, but at no time yesterday did Peyton Manning look like a Super Bowl caliber winning quarterback. Yeah. And that's important. I agree 100%. He, and, and did Joe Montana ever, no matter how bad the 49ers played on their worst day, did Joe Montana ever look as lost as Manning did? Absolutely did not. not. Now, John Elway, people might remember when, when the Broncos beat the Packers for Elway's first Super Bowl title, Elway did not. We remember the helicopter spin run, and we, so we, we kind of remember Elway with that big run, first down, gritty spinning up in the air. It's on all the NFL Films highlights. Right. He did not play well in that game. He was something like 12 for 23, 120 yards, no touchdowns, an interception or two, and it was the running game that got them over in that game. But here's where, with Peyton Manning, here's where some of the numbers and, and some of the measurements do matter. If you're comparing him before yesterday, heading into yesterday's game, to a guy like Tom Brady, for instance, I've got this in front of me right here, Peyton Manning has thrown for about 15,000 more yards in the regular season compared to Tom Brady. 130 more touchdown passes in the regular season compared to Tom Brady. Higher quarterback rating, higher completion percentage, all across the board, anything you look at, it's a whitewash for Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady in the regular season. Where Tom Brady becomes equals in that conversation is the three Super Bowl rings, the postseason performances, the better overall record in the postseason, the fact that he won what his first... Was it 12 postseason games I was before losing say that, or something like that's that? The, the interesting dynamic with Brady is the early Brady postseason is far better than this Brady. Yeah, well, this Brady is just sort of a, a, you know, he's still good, but no one can live up to what he did early in his career. But if Peyton Manning were to have won yesterday and he closes the gap for Super Bowl rings, even though that shouldn't be the be-all, end-all, right. from 3-1 to one to 3-2, to two, nobody would say, yeah, that extra Super Bowl ring that Tom Brady has is enough to make him a better overall quarterback than Peyton Manning. That's why yesterday mattered when comparing well, Brady and Manning directly. And aren't we giving, if Peyton Manning, if the Bron- let's say the Broncos did lose by my prediction, 26-24, and it was a great game, and he played really well, and they still lost the game, then I think the converse, a fair conversation would be, yes, he lost the game, but he played really well. We have to consider it. That's where I come back to the eye test. You don't get beat like, when you get beat like this, you can't put it on any one person, but the quarterback takes a lot of the blame. And never in that game, you're not sitting here today saying, you know, the one thing about that game yesterday, Peyton Manning still played fantastic. He didn't. That's a very important part of this conversation. That's why you have to take these games on a case-by-case basis. But at this point in time, when you have as good a season as Peyton Manning had this year, and he was phenomenal, and the statistics will bear that out forever, 
and you play as poorly as he did yesterday, then I think the conversation has to be it matters legacy wise. Yeah. What is it? And it does matter. And if you just it, you know for the apologist out there and oh he's just great, great. Well, no, that was a Super Bowl yesterday in which. This guy looked. This guy looked at times like he didn't want to be there, yeah, it, and that's it a problem. Absolutely matters. Just and, like Alex Rodriguez in the postseason, yes. matters to and some can degree. Can I say something real quick? Ron Jaworski drove me up the wall today on Mike and Mike. He's in the media, right? They get him on their show, and Mike Golick a- asked about the resume and legacy of Peyton Manning, and Ron Jaworski pulls the old John Gruden. I don't even want to talk about that. I want to talk about how great the Seahawks were. Blah blah blah. Correct me if I'm wrong. If you are with a team or you're a coach or something, that's fine, right? You try and and shape the conversation. But why don't these guys understand that for every success story, somebody failed to, and it's okay to talk about that? Like I said, people want to talk about, oh, the, Se- the Seahawks defense is just so great. Well, yes, you know what? They're really good. But the Broncos stunk. Let's go to Lou on line one here. Lou, you're on Mackie and Judd. Hi, hi guys. I was going to say about uh, Peyton Manning. I thought uh, I thought even in the playoffs, um, especially the San Diego game, Peyton Peyton Manning's arm was dead. I mean, there was nothing, no zip whatsoever on his balls whatsoever in both games. His arm was just tired out. Yeah, the throw he had early on, I think it was Demarius Thomas over the middle. Yep. Richard Sherman and another defensive back were about a step and a half behind, and it was the weakest looking. It, it's almost like he just. It, it was almost like there was a forty mile an hour crosswind, and it was fifteen below zero, even though it was somewhere in the mid-40s for, for kickoff yesterday, and that throw made you think, wow. Um, you know, Some of those throws we saw him make 10 years ago, even in the Super Bowl against the Saints, he still had the arm strength to zip one over the middle, right. and it really does show you. It's also kind of a testament to Manning that the arm strength is not nearly what it was before the surgeries five years ago, and he's able to put up the numbers he did this year by throwing a lot more drag routes over the middle, uh, just being more precise, and probably just, qu- quite frankly, getting better calls at the line of scrimmage. Because he's not going to sit there and zip one in like, you know, like a Philip Rivers would. In but that's what he throws. I, I think if you watch the Broncos, oh, Sean this Kelly and the right thing's just fantastic. We're going to play that later. The Belichick <laughs> thing with the Tom Brady dog is great. I think if you watch the Broncos on a game by game basis, though, that's what you saw. Richard Sherman was not being mean, disrespectful, or out of line when he said he throws ducks. If you watch the Broncos, he throws ducks. He's just that smart, and he can ordinarily get the ball to where he needs it. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing with him is he has to be he has to be ultra self confident and ultra sure of himself. And Peyton Manning was all those things all season long, until yesterday, and then that went away. And by the way, how much is the uh, shine off the rose when it comes to one young Mister Twelve Year Old Adam Gase? If we gave yeah, Adam, that, you know, if the we shine give Adam never Gase, should have been on the rose in the first place. I agree with you, but my point is, if we want to give Adam Gase credit for a lot of the Broncos' success now. To me, it's Manning, okay. But if we want to say there's a future at 30, what, 35? Is that right? 34, 34 35? 35. Okay. So. If we want to say Adam Gase, Broncos OC, is a future head coach candidate, well, then we got to look at what happened yesterday because some of that play calling, whether it was Gase, Manning, or whomever, some of that play calling, flat out play calling, okay? Not the execution, was awful. I don't think Peyton Manning said Omaha yesterday. You couldn't hear it, he did. Uh, because Are you sure? Here's why I think he did. Is it possible did. he changed up the, the verbiage in the I don't two think, weeks? I don't think he did. Now, I could be wrong here, but I think what you what you have is if they play in Denver, the crowd knows to be quiet. The crowd in Indianapolis for Manning was the same way. He's basically trained his home fans to be quiet. Did you notice when they played the Chargers, you couldn't hear most of Phillip Rivers' calls because the crowd was loud enough? So I think what you had yesterday was the crowd was loud enough that you couldn't hear the the mics couldn't the boom mics couldn't. And that's the thing about Peyton too. He's so particular. If you look at him compared to a Tom Brady, you know it's 
need the crowd to be quiet so I can get up to the line. I can dissect everything I can make. Because he's making, he, they're not really calling a play in the huddle and sticking with it, right. which is what we're used to on every snap for the Vikings because Christian Ponder isn't allowed to make his own checks at the line of scrimmage. But if you put Peyton Manning in I'm crossing in a, in a, myself right now. Thank <laughs> God he's not. You put Peyton Manning in a home game, whether it's in Indianapolis or Denver, and the crowd's quiet. He can operate. He can dissect. He can make calls, make audibles, hot routes, whatever you want to call them. And the offense is very much organized. But you go on the road or you go in an atmosphere like yesterday where the crowd was being too loud at the beginning of the game and the offensive lineman couldn't hear what he was trying to do, and that's why the center snapped the ball. He needs, this, and this is one of the flaws, Peyton Manning needs pristine conditions to operate at top notch. Well, but hold on a second. He brought him back that Patriots game in the first half they were awful and, and he brought him I'm not saying always. I think I think beyond that though, I think what we saw yesterday yesterday is the reason why we can have the discussion about his his legacy and what it means, Phil. Because I think what we saw yesterday was Peyton Manning when he gets to the biggest games sometimes struggles. I think it's flat out he struggles. Sometimes he's okay, but sometimes he also struggles. It's the same conversation with Favre. Think about how differently we would view Brett Favre if when Brett Favre got to the biggest games, he didn't make mistakes. And he made some bad mistakes. We'd view him completely differently. The view changed on him, too, before 2007. The view on Favre changed even even before he started. Well, he might have had a four or five interception game, too, in the playoffs at some point in like 03 or 04, if my memory yeah. serves. Yeah, against the Rams, you know, I think. Like 07 wasn't the first time we thought, whoa, this guy's a little reckless well, late in games. If you remember early 90s when he came in the league, that's what he was known as. He drove Holmgren up the wall because he was reckless, but they knew that he was special. Mm-hmm. And then mid-90s, he got a little better. But Favre was always known as a gunslinger. Favre's mistakes are somewhat covered up by the perception of him as a gunslinger. We don't think of Man- If we thought of Manning as a gunslinger, then we would say yesterday he just struggled. But we think of him as this ultra-intelligent everything. The offense works through him, and he always is in control. So when he's, at, when he's not in control, we get really critical because we're used to him running the offense. Yeah. Favre, never, Favre did run the offense. But we never thought of it that way. The word gunslinger, you think of reckless personality or not as bright. You would never yes. call someone who you perceive to have a super high IQ and an organized life a gunslinger. Tom Brady. Because gunslinger equals reckless. Tom Brady. You think Tom Brady's a gunslinger? No, no, I'm you saying never you, would never, you would never call him a gunslinger. Just like I, I don't think anyone would call Peyton Manning a gunslinger, even though he slings guns sometimes. Or really bad bullets that just sort of flutter. It's kind of spray. Right over the middle. We also have to, uh, we've been Super Bowl heavy in the first hour. we got to talk about the Seahawks culture. I have a theory on the Seahawks culture and who they remind me of uh, in previous incarnations of dynasties. And the Gophers had a bad loss over the weekend, too. A lot of ground to cover still. Mackie and Judd, 9 to 1, 1500 ESPN. This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. We're getting some Twitter reaction, too, on our earlier conversation about whether you're a Vikings fan looking back at NFC Championship, heartbreaks, 41 Donut versus the two closer losses, 98 or 2009, or if you're a Broncos fan and you pretty much always get smoked in Super Bowls before the first half is over, which one would you rather have? And I guess I came in without much of an opinion, but you've kind of turned me, you're right, that we don't think of 41 Donut on the same level as the other two, even though they're all you're all on the same doorstep of the Super Bowl. It's just that you're, the door is slammed in your face 10 minutes into the 41 Donut game. Um, somebody on Twitter here, i got to find this because I want to give them proper credit. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel Renteria 
says, fans are in denial if they say they'd rather be blown out. Blowouts are embarrassing and no fun. Would you rather have the prettiest girl in school break up with you or never dated her in the first place? Same thing. I disagree. You're dating the pretty girl by being in that game. And she's breaking up with you both ways. It's about how do you want to be broken up with? Do you want her to look at you as you get out of the car for the first time It's a blind date and say, you know what, that Bosnian warlord beard isn't doing a whole lot for me, yep. so I think well, maybe here, we should just avoid dinner and a movie altogether. I can sort this out. both yeah. go home. That's what I was going to say. I think the difference is, let's say you're dating the prettiest girl, no matter what, okay? But if you go out on a date and she comes up to you after and says, you know, that was fun, but let's just be friends, blah, it might hurt a little bit, but you're like, okay, now you were on the doorstep, but that, that's it. But what if you go out for three months? And then she finds a new guy, and she's like, I really like you, Phil, but Tony's better. That's it. I'm, but that's, that's, what, that's 98. 98. That's, that's like, oh, my gosh, dude, my heart's dude. been ripped out, as opposed to, ah, it just didn't work out. 98 is, you've been dating for a year and a half, and you bought the ring already, and you're about to propose, right. and she brings Italian Tony to the dinner and or says, oh, by the way, I've been seeing this guy had, for you six su- months. You surprise her. <laughs> you surprise. You show up on her doorstep. And his truck is parked in the driveway. Exactly. <laughs> That's what Think it is. Think about the difference between that so, and her just saying to you, you know what, Phil, I really like you, but after one day, it's not going to work. I appreciate the analogy, but I, I just don't know if I agree with it. Uh, on the Percy Harvin discussion, too, you know, the, yes, Percy Harvin had a huge role in, in making, that, making sure the game was completely out of hand yesterday. I still contest that the Seahawks win that game without Percy Harvin. So you can't go thumping your chest saying that the Percy Harvin trade was uh, was the reason why they won the Super Bowl. But both teams have to be happy. And if you're the Vikings, you might see Percy looking like a rock star in that game yesterday. But Xavier Rhodes is probably your best young corner. You took mm-hmm. him with the 23rd overall pick. He used the money to sign Greg Jennings, who, if given a competent quarterback, is still one of the better possession receivers in the NFL. And we might not know the answer to this, but if Percy Harvin was still on the roster, would they still have drafted Cordero Patterson? No they wouldn't have had the extra no. pick. To use and cornerback was probably a bigger need. And didn't so. they actually send one of the Harvin picks to the Patriots in that trade? They sent three picks, right, to the Patriots. I think they might have sent one of the. Perce- Wait, was was it a three way deal? No, 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 no. I'm saying, didn't they send one of the Seahawks? One of the picks the Seahawks gave to the Vikings. Didn't they use one of those? Oh, I to see send to the Patriots yeah. then. But there is no way if you have Percy Harvin, if you've just signed Percy Harvin to a long term contract, which they would have had to do. There's no way you take Patterson. They look very different as far as size and things, but they're used. They should be used ideally in a redundant nature. If Patterson's strengths are also Percy's strengths. Right, when Percy is a hundred percent healthy, compare him to Patterson from last year. Now, forget about the fact that Patterson's more valuable because he's younger. Patterson is really close to being well, as good as Percy. The sad Arnold. thing is, we don't know the answer to that yet because the offensive coordinator wouldn't let us find out. Jim Suhan was at the Super Bowl. He joins us next. Mackie and Judd, 1500 ESPN. Cruising through Twitter here, I see uh, our old buddy Tom Pelissero just tweeted this five minutes ago, and there it is. My flight home is canceled from New York. Jim Suhan out in New York. Flight not canceled yet, but delayed already. Travel nightmares out there, sir? Well, I had, you know, I got to get Delta credit. They, they told me on my way to the Super Bowl yesterday that my flight this morning was going to be canceled. So, and then they put me on a, I was on like a, a terrible schedule, like through Raleigh, and I was going to get, just spend the whole day flying. They put me on a direct to Minneapolis, leaves at noon, so, and hasn't been canceled or delayed yet, so I really have nothing to complain about yet. What was the deal after the game? Apparently they were telling people to stay in the stadium because the train station was too full, even at like midnight? It was overwhelmed. You know, I was following people on Twitter who were dealing with it, and uh, they, you know, they spent all week encouraging uh, Jerseyans and, and people to use mass transit to the games, 
And then the mass transit system was completely overwhelmed. They uh, couldn't, yeah, the lines were ridiculous. They had people passing out uh, from the heat, from standing too close. Good Lord. Uh, they were, yeah, they were announcing that people should stay in the stadium. And, you know, it wasn't brutally cold, but it was 35 degrees and a little bit of rain coming down. They had people telling people to stay in the stadium because they couldn't handle the overflow. It was, a, it was an absolute mess. So, Jim Suhan, they had how many years to prepare for this, and that's how it ends up? That, that's, you know, I, listen, I, I'm, I hate stereotypes, but that's what you get when you come to New York. You know, this is not a big deal to New Yorkers. It's a big deal to Roger Goodell and the NFL office. You know, New Yorkers and Jersey is just another thing to do on a Sunday. You know, they're not, they're not going to change everything they do to fit in the Super Bowl. And you saw that in Manhattan. It was just another event. And you saw it in Jersey because they didn't do anything to really prepare for the, the crush of people. They just, you know, when, when the Super Bowl comes to places like Indianapolis, Minneapolis, New Orleans, right. it is the event. And everybody gears up. It's a huge point of civic pride. In New York, it's just another Tuesday, man. So thumbs up or thumbs down on, on the overall experience? You know, selfishly, I love New York, and I got to come stay in New York for a week and do some cool stories. So, so I'm not saying that selfishly it was a bad week for me. It was mm-hmm. a good week for me. I'm saying if, I think if you're the average fan uh, to have to come into this crush, uh, to have to pay the pay New York prices for everything, including, I think, $20 a cup for a cup of hot cocoa at the stadium, uh, to deal with the, tra- the traffic problems, to sit outside in, a, in what could have been much colder weather than they actually had, I think it's a, I think it's a terrible idea for the average fan. For me, it was fine. They were charging, I think, eight bucks for soup. But if you wanted to to get the souvenir soup cup, you could pay over twenty bucks. I wonder what the yeah, overhead is on those soup cups. Those gold plated <laughs> soup, soup cups with diamond studs, apparently. Yeah, brilliant marketing. Uh, yeah, the soup is free, but the spoon costs eighty dollars. What were your? You watched that game yesterday. I mean, right from the opening sta- uh, snap, safety in the end zone. Peyton Manning did somehow break the record for most completions by a quarterback, but they were just meaningless completions and the game was not close. What did yesterday's game do, if anything, to your opinion of Peyton Manning? Honestly, it didn't change it. Uh, I think yeah, and my premise going in was you can call it a legacy game if he wins, but it doesn't really, I don't think it really diminishes the legacy if he, if he loses. And that's the way I still feel. If he had won, then he, he's just checking off a lot of boxes on his resume. You know, two different Super Bowls, uh, Winning, winning with two different teams, winning before next surgery, winning after next surgery, winning with two different sets of receivers, different offensive coordinators, different, you know, winning with one dumb team, winning one, with one team that plays outdoors at altitude. I thought that a win would mean a lot to him. A loss just kind of leaves him in the same netherworld he was already in, which is, you know, he's great. You know, there's no arguing that he's great, uh, but it becomes a little harder to argue that he's the greatest ever, which you might have been able to make the argument if you want. Yeah, I, th- I think you nailed it because he's already, if, if, especially if he plays like two more years, and he'll have yep. the uh, the doctor's appointment here shortly that'll tell us if he's going to, but he's going to break Brett Favre's touchdowns record next year. He'd break the yardage record sometime in 2015, so he is unequivocally the greatest regular season quarterback of all time. And to me, you nailed it. If he wins that game yesterday and gets a second Super Bowl ring and then closes the gap on Brady in Montana, you could then start to say definitively he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Now he's still just one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Not that that's something that uh, you know that, that he should be crying over. Right, exactly. I mean, you know, it doesn't diminish the overall uh, the overall body of work, which is still incredible. But it does it nags a little bit. It's like, listen, we all know Marino, especially those of us who were young enough to watch him play live. We all know how great Marino was. Marino was great. Uh, maybe, maybe the best pure pastor who ever lived in terms of, you know, from the time 
he spotted a receiver to the time the ball got in his hands. You know, I don't know if anybody's ever better. And frankly, he was a lot like Favre, only without the interceptions. Uh, but and Marino never won a Super Bowl, so you can't make just the championship argument. It's too simplistic. But you can look at Manning's overall body of work and say, you know, he's lost some playoff games. He probably should have won. He's you know, he's contributed to some playoff losses more than a great quarterback should have. Uh, you know, and, and he has had trouble. And weather wasn't a factor last night at all, but he has had trouble in some weather-related games. So, you know, it's, it's just not as clean a resume as it could have been if he had won. So how much credit does a outstanding Seahawks defense get for what transpired yesterday, and how much blame do the Broncos get? Because I thought offensively, I think if we just sit here and say the Seahawks defense is just that good and Denver was still – I thought Denver was awful, absolutely awful. Well, Denver was awful, but, it, you know, now in hindsight, what you can see, and, and from the conversations I've had, uh, you know, with other people in the game, with people with writers I know who know people in the game, the, the story that's emerging slowly here is that Seahawks found kind of a tell with Manning. They watched, from, they watched so much tape for two weeks started noticing that he really does give away what he's doing with his eyes a little bit. I think they coached the heck out of him. Hmm. Uh, also, the, the interesting matchup here, and one I should have put more uh, weight on when I was trying to figure out who to pick in this game, you know, Manning never throws the ball way downfield. He never beats you with a 50-yard bomb. It's all underneath. It's all, you know, who's, who's the correct receiver to throw to? Get it to him in a place where he can catch and run. And I thought the most telling play of the whole game was not the snap over his head. It wasn't the interception return for the touchdown. Maybe the most telling play of the game was maybe the, I think it was the first completion Manning had. He had uh, Demarius Thomas. He had plenty of time in the pocket. He had Demarius Thomas running wide open across the middle, underneath you know the perfect kind of Denver Bronco route they like to run. You get it to your best catch and run receiver. You hit him in stride, and Cam Chancellor came up and knocked him flat, knocked yep. him five yards back. Against AFC teams, Samaris Thomas breaks two tackles, gets about 15, 20 yards, and they're rolling. Against the Seahawks, it was a bad play. So was Percy, was he uh, thankful? Was he smug? The Percy that, that you saw post game was what? Uh, you know, I, I, thought, I listened to him on the podium, and I went and found him in the locker room afterward, and yep. he, was, he was thrilled. You know, and it, I, you know, for whatever you think of him, he wasn't smug. Uh, you know, I, I tried to, frankly, I tried to lead him on the road of talking about Minnesota days and that he just didn't bite. Uh, but he wasn't smug about it. He, you know, listen, this, this all sounds hokey, but every Seahawks player you talk to, every key player, they just talk about loving playing there. You know, I had a, con- a private conversation with Bevel where, he, you know, I was saying, man, you know, I, I thought that you, had, you were going to end up with a, at least a shot at a head coach you got this year. He said, you know what? You know, that, that would have been nice, but I love where I he started describing, like, the Seahawks practice facility, how they practice right on the bay. If you, throw over, if you overthrow a pass, it lands in the water. He said he loves working for Pete, loves the players. And Harvin, every question, he turned to how much he loves his teammates, how much they supported him during the season, how much he loves playing for Carroll, what a happy place it is to be. You know, again, it sounds hokey, but and, – and this is not to dismiss Harvin being a diva in his time in Minnesota, but last night he just seemed like a happy dude. And, and you know, Seattle really has turned into the Google of the NFL, and that's kind of what you get when when your owner yeah. is the uh, the founder of a company like Microsoft, and he's looking through a lens of progressive business. How do we create a culture where people don't just want to clock out and get home for the day? People actually want to spend time hanging out because it's a fun place to be, and they have mastered that in Seattle, and I think it's a huge deal. 
I, I agree completely. Uh, I mean, they, you know, and it's an old story now. We all know it. The guys hang around and come in on their days off, play video games and hang out with each other. And, you know, they, they, they provide them great food and comfortable places to hang out and, and they get their work done, but they don't obsess over it. You know, I, I, every, every business could benefit by making their employees very comfortable. You know, if, if you have good employees, uh, making them happy, making them want to stick around, that, that can only benefit you. Do we have faith that the, uh, that the Wilfs can create that culture? You know, it's easy to bash them right now because the team, you know, the team had a lousy season, uh, and Ziggy doesn't speak for himself very well. And, you know, when he does speak, he, does, he seems a little comical. I, I think they want to, and I think that's why they gave Leslie Frazier a shot. Uh, I, I don't know if they know how, though. Because it's one thing to say you're going to accomplish those things, something to pull them off, you know? And, uh, and frankly, if Pete, you know, when Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll tried doing that in New York and New England, he would take his guys out, you know, to parties and to bowling and movies and everything else. And I maybe it would have translated into a great success over time, but he didn't really get the time to do it. You have to have a little patience too. I mean, you know, maybe let, you know, I've said this too many times and I apologize for that. But, you know, maybe if Leslie Frazier is your point man, you actually give him good coordinators and a good mm-hmm. quarterback, they could have created something like that here. Thanks, Jim. Safe travel. See you, Jim. Thanks, boys. See you. Jim Suhan, Star Tribune, a sports columnist, also co-host Sunday Morning Sports Talk with Corzo, 10 to noon. Uh, late, latest story that's moved, NFL to review train station fiasco. They're calling it a fiasco. They're now calling it, it's officially, it's been upgraded, it's a fiasco so, at the train station. How do you have this much time to prepare for something and be this ill-prepared? Well, I know it's New Jersey, I know it's New York, but come on. Well, what's the review process? What does it matter for? They're not going to hold another Super Bowl at MetLife for a long time. This is true. Unless they're reviewing for some other... Well, I mean, this could have happened in any outdoor cold weather situation. It had nothing to do with the fact that it was an outdoor cold weather Here's situation. your potential problem. Let's say there was one or two really rich people who decided that they were going to take the train, and then they passed out. Then they have to review it because <laughs> they've gone to Goodell and said, what the hell happened here? Do you think this leads to more cold weather Super Bowls? I think it's entirely dependent on if you built a new stadium. I mean, you're going to get one here at some point because of the under-the-table handshake, well, whatever. It's indoors, and I've but Like, Lambeau Field's never going to get no. a Super Bowl. And you know what? Chicago has not either. They redid Soldier Field. They never got a promise of that. But this would be the gates opening for that to be possible How in the much future. do you want to push your luck, though? I mean, they got really lucky yesterday. It's snowing there today. You, you How much to, do you want to push your luck on this you'd have if you're to talking go about in, outdoors? Yeah, you'd have to go in thinking, all right, there's a 30% chance or whatever the percent is that we're going to have a blizzard on Super Bowl game day. And we have to be okay with that if we decide a Super Bowl is going to be held in Chicago. You rarely have Super Bowls, fill in cold weather cities, period, with domes on them. How many times, if we want to have this conversation, realistically, outdoor cold weather Super Bowls, what are we talking, maybe once every 20 years? Um, you mean how, how often has, has like, it actually happened? Or? or No, no, no. Going forward, if you say to yourself, this went really well. We had an outdoor Super Bowl in the East, by the way. If you're in the Midwest, you're just asking for trouble. If you go to Chicago, you're asking for huge trouble. Yeah. But let's just say they think this worked out pretty well. It's New York. It's a cool place to have it once every, and then you got to fill in the blank. I would say once every 20 years, 20, maybe. 15 or 20, because That'd be it. I don't it's like, not going to become, you're not going to start saying, ah, we'll give it to you and you and you. I want the conditions to be as flawless as possible, because I just want the football to be the story. I don't want, well, uh, this defense had an advantage because Drew Brees and company aren't used to playing in 20 degree wind chill weather. I, I want it to be 75, sunny. Yesterday, what was it, 45 degrees? Yeah, it was around 50 that. degrees. So it wasn't, it wasn't a factor. Uh, I know it would be kind of fun to watch a I was Blizzard say, game for the Super Bowl. I but think once just, every 20 years, if you take that chance and sort of roll the dice, I can see it. But you're not going to do it more than like that. Like that Sunday we had the 
the Vikings at Baltimore, and there were six other games. That Eagles Detroit game, yep. where there's eight inches of snow on the Washington field. Washington was at home, it was snowing. See that that a Super Bowl shouldn't be played in those conditions when you can't even, for instance, the Eagles didn't even attempt to kick an but extra how much, point in that game. You know, forget the game because the game is not the most important thing. How much are you going to ask really rich people to travel to? a potential cold weather site, which is why they'll give this new stadium for the Vikings because I think they promised it one Super Bowl. But other than that, it's going to be tough to get one back here. If everything's connected here, that's okay. But can you really go to a city more than once every 30 years and say, um, okay, today, as you get off the plane, it's 25 below. And the wind chill, it's 50 below. Yeah, and there is How much can you do that? It's a lot more to, like you said, it's... It's sponsors, and, and it's, it's, the it's week. more about the experience. This is and not media about the Super Bowl. Is not about the game. For most people who are really rich, you think they care if they go to the game? What they want is they want to go to a warm weather city and be comfortable and play golf and go on outings. A uh, relatively bad loss for the Gophers at home against Northwestern that we need to dissect. You were next there on Mackie and Judd. I was there. We'll talk about it. Mackie and Judd are on fifteen hundred ESPN. Clock starts with 11 seconds into the offensive end. Matthew behind the back, nearly lost it to Hollins. Back to Matthew with five. Into the paint, leans in off the window. No, Walker the rebound, put back. No, he missed it from a foot. And the game is over. And Northwestern wins it. You know what? Having watched those replays about 10 times, Judd. Yeah. You could call fouls and probably should have called a foul in there somewhere, either on the, the Matthew layup attempt Maybe to a lesser degree, the Mo Walker layup attempt, but either way, make a layup. Well, make a layup. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things. You know what? I thought Patino did it, was very smart when he told his players, I'm not talking about the officials, and neither are you. That, to me, was well, very... Well, they want to get fined or suspended, too. No, but... but I think it's also... I think No, but I think more importantly, I think when it's Adelman, he doesn't want to get fined. I think Patino's message is, I'm trying to build something here, and if we start laying this off on the officials, because there's two games now... There's two games now that certain coaches would have sold you on. We got screwed. Michigan State, because do you remember that last play, the Matthew play against Michigan State at the end of regulation? He got fouled. Kind of. And they didn't call it. Was but a, it was they a similar incident, they but he made the layup in that spot, Right, too. but they could have called it. And then in, in this case, I like the fact that for whatever reason, he's decided we're not going to talk about the officiating. Because if you talk about the officiating, it basically puts aside the key to this game, which is you're at home. Northwestern's a good team. They're a really nice team. Yeah, people look at Northwestern and Nebraska, too. Nebraska at home and Northwestern the last two months, totally different teams than the perception going into the Big Ten season. And if we think that Richard Pitino's done a good job, then Chris Collins has done a great job at Northwestern yeah, right now. A couple of uh, sons of great coaches. Yeah, yeah, that's not too bad when you can pick up the phone and call your dad and probably get some really good advice. But what what did we realistically expect? Let's Let's take ourselves back to early November... Even before the Gophers played in the was it the the Puerto Rico were they Puerto Rico I can't remember even where they were in the they went to Maui uh, Maui Invitational yeah they went to Maui no this year. I think realistically if someone would have said all right Richard Pitino's first year here you're without Trevor Mbakwe without Rodney Williams and a nine and nine finishing conference maybe twenty ish wins mm-hmm. and a chance to make the NCAA tournament I would have said I'll sign up for that that's fine I'll I'll take that. The way that they started off, though, and the fact that they competed with Syracuse on a neutral court, who, by the way, has not lost a game yet this season. Yep. Uh, they beat Florida State, which is going to be probably an NCAA tournament game. I guess I haven't looked at that. Arkansas in the last was disappointing. I'll say that. It was, but Arkansas almost beat Florida. They took Florida to overtime and they beat Kentucky. So Arkansas is not as bad as people thought. Did they you were have, be. going into this season, 
Did you have expectations for this team, though? Because I really didn't. My when expectations it comes to the Wolves, were not, them, My expectations were, were short of NCAA tournament. So, because I really didn't, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know, I didn't know a thing about Matthew. I didn't know a thing about Smith. So I really didn't have expectations. I, I like how Patino has handled things. I've cautioned people on this. We get, and in this town, we get very hung up on this. He's not tubby, so that helps to make him more popular. But from what he's done coaching-wise, I think he's been very good. If this guy was truly your fifth or sixth choice, or, or however it fell, he's done a good job. And he's brought in a couple guys who we didn't know a thing about who have been very valuable. But I didn't really have expectations. It's not like I, I didn't go in saying, boy, they should maybe make the tournament. I just didn't know what to expect. But look at some of the games they're playing. You brought up the Michigan State game. Michigan State's roster is night and day compared to the Gophers' roster and just the job that Izzo has done building that program up the last 15 years. Iowa's one of the deepest teams in the country. Michigan people were down on going into the Big Ten season, but Michigan lost two players off a team that almost won the national championship last year. Mm-hmm. Stauskas is essentially the next Kyle Korver. They've got a couple NBA players in their rotation right now. And they lost McGarry early on. Correct. Um, and, and so Michigan, Michigan State, Iowa, even Wisconsin has a much better— they've been struggling lately. They lost to Ohio State over the weekend— these rosters are so much better than what the Gophers are putting out there, and the Gophers are finding a way to beat and or stay in these games until late. Should they have beat Northwestern at home this weekend? Probably, but again, it's a depleted roster of guys who are playing at FIU and Drake and Central Arizona Community College one year ago today, and you're without your best player, like I said. Um, you're That's what bothers me, this thought that, well, all right, we're looking at the schedule, and Nebraska, Northwestern, Penn State, these are all games they should win. The Gophers don't have a good enough roster to where you can say, yeah, they're for sure going to win this game. I think what we know about the conference now is it's a lot of fun to watch, and it's completely goofy. It is completely... The it's whole conference beyond is completely... beyond nutty right now. But the yeah. whole conference is completely goofy. And so I guess the Gophers having more success than we expected shouldn't be surprising, but you all... There is no game right now. You look at the remainder. I think they have eight or nine games left in the Big Ten, Phil. You look at the rema- got, you look at the remainder left. of this schedule, and you tell me one game where you can point to and say for sure victory. Well, there's like for the reasons I just mentioned, you sh- you should no longer think that about any game because of at Nebraska and home against Northwestern. But they're so well coached that they can beat anyone too. They're 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 not talented enough to where you can say they should be beating everyone on the schedule. Uh, you know, south of Wisconsin. But they're so well coached that any given time they can pop up and beat a Wisconsin at home or well, and what's the play other tough key against too? Michigan State on the road. Another enormous key on Saturday, a difference between they could have got blown out at Nebraska and they could have easily won Saturday's game, and it all depends on the one guy that held them in the Nebraska game and had a bad shooting day on Saturday, which is Smith. Mm-hmm. Smith if Smith is hitting his threes like he did against Nebraska, against Northwestern, they win that game probably by what? Nine points? And Nebraska hit a ton of contested shots, too, not to make excuses because, you know, DeAndre Matthew turned the ball over nine times in that game, too. Well, let's just go through it. They got nine games to go, um, four and five in conference right now. If you finish five and four the rest of the way, you'll be 20 and 11 and nine and nine in conference. Which will get them in. With a win against Wisconsin, who's, I know they're struggling lately, but Wisconsin is, it's a good win when they're in the room trying to and sort o- out bubble teams. And Ohio State at the time was what? When they beat Ohio State, I think they were number three maybe? They were... Um, no, Ohio State's not that good now. Top but, ten, yeah. But, but they here, were number three. But here's the flip side, too. They were 11th. The Michigan, the Michigan loss at Williams Arena, when it happened, looked like a bad loss, a poor loss, and now it looks completely different. Because mm-hmm. Michigan lost their first Big Ten game of the season yesterday 
to the Hoosiers. There's only three teams in the Big Ten right now above 500. Iowa six and three, Michigan, Michigan State, both eight and one. And so again, this is just I'm gonna I'm gonna throw these next nine games out there. And by no means should we be marking down wins in anything other than pencil for the Gophers. That's but what I was gonna say. You can't at Purdue. Matt, Matt Painter is one of the better coaches that no one talks about in the country. Purdue's three and six in conference, thirteen and nine overall. Uh, on the road, they're probably going to be favored over the Gophers. But if you win, let's say you come back and you win at Purdue, which is a huge if. Yeah, you get a home game against Indiana. If you want to make the tournament, you got to win that game. At Wisconsin, let's say that's a loss. At Northwestern, I think you can win that game, but let's just say it's a loss for fun. Two and two. All right. You win at home against Illinois. Yep. Three and two. At Ohio State, loss. Home against Iowa, loss. At Michigan, loss. Home against Penn State is a win. I've got them four and five with that at Northwestern game and the at Purdue as kind of the toss-up. the huge, huge toss-up games. But I think you have to finish nine and nine if you're going to win only twenty games overall, don't you? If you finish eight and ten, it kind of depends on yeah, well, it's going to depend else? on a lot of variables though in this conference. But here's but here's the thing: is is we're going through this trying to predict. How, how the conference will work, and you don't know. In two weeks, it could be right. In two weeks, Northwestern's a bubble team. I was going to say Northwestern could fall off the map in a couple weeks, or they could get better, and we're going to be like, "Wow, this team's really good. This team's legit. This is an NCAA tournament team." Northwestern, if I'm not mistaken, has never made the tournament, right? Ever. I don't think they've ever made the tournament, which is amazing. And they look like a pretty good team. Northwestern got off to an zero and three start. They lost to Wisconsin. They lost seventy six forty nine to Wisconsin. Then they lost at Michigan, at Iowa, so they're 0-3, so we're saying typical Northwestern. They go to Illinois, they win there, they lose to Michigan State, then they beat Indiana, they beat Purdue, and since then they've beaten Wisconsin and the Gophers on the road. If the, if the, this would be interesting. If the so tournament, this frame totally differently If now. the tournament selection process started today, if, if the season was over, Northwestern's 12-11 and 11 overall with a bunch of bad losses and blowout losses early in conference, but they're fourth in the Big Ten at 5-5 five and five right now. Mm-hmm. So they would be a bubble team. Which is odd to think about, but they're a different team now than they were a month and a half ago. Uh, stuff you should know about next? Yes. Stuff you should know First about. First ever. Next. This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. We're going to try a new segment here on a new show. Shocking. I like that idea. We don't have an intro for it yet. We will, though. Actually, Dave, can you use, uh, like, FM voice to intro this? Just, you know, uh, stuff you should know about. And isn't it? now, Mackie and Judd bring you stuff you should know about. Which, That's by the way, Phil. Right there. You could be a beatboxer. Thank you. As mm-hmm. I told you guys this morning, is Siska. Stuff you, S-Y, stuff you should Know about. about. Yeah, okay. Okay. Siska. That's weird, though, because like the second S is really an SH. It's phonetically, it's Siska. a sh. And the, the K is silent in no. So Siska, I see what you're doing there, but. The, you got me? The, the K is silent in no. I realize that, but it's if you just do it, it S Y S K A. Well, let's start with this one. Because um, I don't like Sisna, which is what it would be if the K was silent. I think you should keep working on that because it'd be, it'd be Sishna with the SH sound. Sounds Russian. This will evolve, and we will have an intro for this, but uh, stuff you should know about from over the weekend. Brett Favre made an appearance, a Grizzly Adams-like appearance, on the NFL Network 23-hour pregame show yesterday. In fact, he's, he was sporting kind of a Judd Zolgad. That's I said, more homeless. Favre or Zolgad. Touch of gray situation, and this is kind of what he had to say. I don't know if I'm the right person to give retirement. Uh <laughs> 
um, ideas, thoughts, advice. But then again, um, and I say that sort of jokingly, I have gone through that process several times. And, and as I look back, what I, not that he would ask or anyone would ask, but um, what I would say is I wouldn't change. Um, now, my last year in Minnesota. Yeah, we'll, yeah, we'll we, just. That's we good. Didn't play that's good. I don't think well. he's going to stop talking. We'll just, well. we'll just fade him off. That, must be about that was Brett Favre giving advice to. You could let that guy talk forever because I think he, think he would. He talked for a long time. He might be talking to himself out of, out of his retirement right now. He's trying to talk Peyton Manning in and out of retirement, is what that question was about. What if Steve he, Mariucci was, uh, was asking him, what would you do if you were I think he's still sitting down having a beer with, with Peyton Manning? I think he's still going. We would be wondering right now. We may even have that discussion that had you gone back. Do you think this he's just a that team would have gone back uh, not only to the championship game, but he's a had gotten into the Super Bowl? No, would uh, would would, would, would Percy is Percy going to play? Maybe. No, if if Sydney's going to play, you know, I'll pro- probably probably going to get out there and uh, you know, John Sullivan's got that. Uh, Shanko's got yeah, the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> Phil Lodehold's got the bad leg. He's still going, and, by the way. In, in this is others. fantastic. He is in this big game. Uh, there are no guarantees. <laughs> Thanks, Brett. By the end of it, the guys on the NFL Network set were like, uh, "Yeah, that was way more than we asked you to talk about." What would happen? What would happen? And I'm being serious. If at the end of this, Favre says, "You know what, guys? I've thought about this long and hard now, and I am prepared to come back next season." Well, didn't the Rams like place a phone call into him this year? Yeah, supposedly. Or did they? Their cover up was we were just kidding. When, uh, no, you weren't. When Bradford went down, your, your options were Kellen Favre. Clemens or Brett Favre. You're probably leaning at least somewhat toward Brett Favre. Do you know, okay, given the success that Peyton Manning had this season, do you realize, Phil, how much better right now Brett Favre's arm is than Peyton Manning? Brett Favre's arm, I bet, is still. The guy had, that's the one thing he had to his last day with the Vikings. He had a cannon for an arm. He did. Yeah, you're probably right. But the Compared rest to of the him, Ducks? No, I realize that. But I'm saying if you can protect him in the pocket. And just have him throw passes. He can throw bullets compared to what Manning throws. I just love the fact that he's an offensive coordinator for a high school team that just won the state championship. Wouldn't you guys love to just be in a film meeting with Brett Favre and these high school kids for like a half hour just to see what they talk about? What kind of oh, and can you imagine what kind the of stories? Are they doing? Can you imagine the stories you would get from him that he could tell about his his career and thing? I bet he'd tell some of the greatest stories ever. But that guy has helped. He's helped at that high school. Favre's helped there since what? Like five, six years now? Is that the same high school he was playing catch at before he signed with the Vikings? Yes, that's the same high school coach that I called about four or five years ago, or four years ago, and I said, uh, uh, so, have you seen Favre? He said, well, he just worked out here today. I said, (laughs) why don't you talk to me some more about that? Hey, yesterday, um, Super Bowl pregame shows, I try and ignore them, right? Because I've gotten sick of them. They last all day. They're too long. There's other stuff on. But uh, Frank Caliendo did a spoof of ESPN's 30 for 30, which kudos to the ESPN people because they take themselves ordinarily very seriously. But Frank Caliendo, who is as talented when it comes to this stuff as anybody, did a spoof, a 30 for 30 on Richard Sherman, which really ran the gamut of characters. It's pretty amazing. They call him Control-Alt-Delete because on the football field, whatever windows are open, don't close them up in a hurry. (laughs) Just great. I spent 72 straight hours watching film yesterday. Gosh. And that's why I now truly believe Richard Sherman could be one of the greatest cornerbacks ever. I got to be honest with you. My first inclination after seeing that interview was, stop it. Did I realized something special was going on here. I really believed that. And it dawned on me. Coaches coach and players play. And it really doesn't have anything to do with the situation. I just like to think about it and say it. He also did a Schefter one, too. Where he he nails these little phrases of these guys so yes. perfectly. He does the Schefter. My sources are telling me 
at this particular time, it appears that it's like every because Schefter sets up everything he says so that even if it turns out to not be correct, yeah, it was. I right. told you it appeared that way at the right, time, but things right changed later. It's right when I'm talking to you. He told uh, <laughs> Caliendo was on with Mike and Mike a few years ago, and he explained though what he does for these characters is he gets like their key phrase. Okay, so he gets their key phrase and he memorizes it and works on it and builds the character. The best part about the end of that one though, Phil. Is that if you listen to the end of it, Gruden or Ditka morphed into Gruden? Okay, let's play this again. At the very end, totally worth it. Hold on. They call him Control Alt Delete because on the football field, whatever windows are open, don't close them up in a hurry. (laughs) I spent seventy-two straight hours watching film yesterday, and that's why I now truly believe (laughs) could be one of the greatest cornerbacks ever. Ditka. I gotta be honest with you. My first inclination after seeing that interview was stop it. Then I realized something special was going on here. I really believed that, and it dawned on me. Coaches coach and players play, and it really doesn't have anything to do with the situation. I just like to think about it and say it. Now it's Gruden. He sort of morphed in. He Ditka morphed into Gruden. On the video, he pops a piece of gum at the end of his sentence. There is Ditka. He's got a huge pack of gum, and he's just popping gum right after he gets done talking. It's pretty classic. And the Belichick with the dog was good too. Peyton Manning and Wes Welker differ on their views of the word embarrassing after yesterday's game. We'll play a bite from Peyton, and, and then uh, Dave has a quote from Wes Welker, too. It's not embarrassing at all. I would never use that word. There's a lot of professional football players in that room, in the locker room, to put a lot of hard work and effort uh, into being here, into playing in that game. The word embarrassing is an insulting word, to tell you the truth. So Manning is insulted by using the word embarrassing to describe the Broncos' offensive performance yesterday, but... Wes Welker tells reporters after the game, quote, this was embarrassing. No way <laughs> I expected anything like this to happen. It was embarrassing. Do you know what it shows? You have two weeks to prep for this, and I know it's one of the best defenses we've seen in 15 years here, but to look like that and to have a safety off the first snap of the game and your first pass gets picked off and a pick six later, it's okay. It's embarrassing. Do you know what it shows? It shows once again that the athlete or the coach wants to be the one to choose the word. That's all it shows. But he progressively got more and more angry as he answered the question. Right, but the he qu- doesn't get too chippy in press conferences, but he totally did with but that Manning, question. But Manning, the word embarrassing was used by the reporter to ask the question. Mm-hmm. Manning didn't like that word. Wes Welker controlled the situation by saying, if Peyton Manning had said, this is embarrassing, then he's in control of it. That's the difference to me. Wes Welker was allowed to use the word embarrassing, and that was how he defined it. But when it was defined to Manning as embarrassing, Peyton Manning bristled at it. If that wasn't embarrassing, if you're, if Peyton Manning is answering a question honestly, if he honestly thinks that that wasn't embarrassing yesterday, which I bet if you really hooked him up to a lie detector, he's embarrassed by what happened yesterday. Which is why he what bristled would be at embarrassing it. then? Does he just never get embarrassed? No, I think I think what happened there was he is embarrassed by it, and it was made worse by someone using that word embarrassing mm. because it is. How else do you describe that game? As good as Seattle's defense. And we've said this all show. As good as Seattle's defense is, right? Offensively, that was an embarrassing performance. Yeah. On almost every level. You by the give Broncos. up, like I said, you give up, you throw two interceptions, one with your arm being hit because of intense pressure, ball pops up in the air, a pick six, a safety off the first snap. That's pretty embarrassing. Well, Especially yeah, I, when you have two weeks to prep and your legacy to some degree is on the line. And it's just, I understand why he wouldn't want to classify it that way because... He doesn't want to think of this as somewhat of a career-defining game. And it shouldn't define his whole career, but it was embarrassing. Yeah, but it defined... But, with but he, know, he knows as well as anybody, if you're Peyton Manning, it doesn't define your career, but this was your chance. You either changed how everybody thought about you this morning if you won that game, right? 
because there's basically, you're what? You're two and one in Super Bowls if you win that game yesterday. You've had a fantastic season. You've come back from the neck. You've redefined yourself to where we will say, okay, if Peyton Manning wins that game, he is one of the greatest of all time, period. That's the end of the sentence. Not regular season, not anything else. Mm -hmm. However, with what happened yesterday, which is great for us in talk radio, it leaves open, okay, you are great, but here's the comma to that. Correct. You are not, you are not one instead of the greatest of, instead ever, Instead of period. a period or an exclamation point on the end of it, which I still think if he wins that game yesterday, this is, this is my sentence. My personal opinion is Peyton Manning is the greatest quarterback of all time, period. Now it's Peyton Manning is, is the greatest regular season quarterback of all time, and among the greatest quarterbacks of all time, and I know that one game shouldn't necessarily define that, but the way this is all played out, yes, it kind of does. Well, and to go and to go back to the conversation about Favre, I think if Peyton Manning wins yesterday, Brett Favre doesn't enter the conversation today because now Peyton Manning's pulled clear of those guys, but now he's not. Is he still talking, by the way? I don't know if I'm the right person to give. <laughs> it's just great. I don't know if I'm the right person to give. How old does he look to you, by um, the way? Um. <laughs> How well, he looks about, about 10 years older than he did when he last played for the Vikings, which was, I don't know, three years ago. I think he actually looks more you, relaxed, though. He was, he, it's funny, he, he's grayer than he was when he played for the Vikings, but I actually think he looks better in some ways now. Uh, sad news yesterday from the entertainment world. Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of the great character actors, I think, of our generation, yeah. was found dead in his Manhattan apartment. Let's play a clip Let's play, we've got a couple classic Philip Seymour Hoffman clips here. Let's start with uh, this one. Hey, I met you. You are not cool. I know. Even when I thought I was, I knew I wasn't. Because we are uncool. Now, while women will always be a problem for guys like us, most of the great art in the world is about that very problem. Good-looking people, they got no spine. Their art never lasts. And they get the girls who are smarter. Yeah, I can really see that now. That was him as Lester Bangs in Almost Famous, which is a great movie. Almost Famous is fantastic. There's, he's one of those actors where you really you don't realize how many movies he because he's not he's not really the he's not star lead, the starring he's not leading, leading actor man. in as many. Yes, uh, he was in Owning Mahoney, which is one of the most Have underrated gambling movies of all time. Capote, I never where seen Capote. Played, no, oh, he is fantastic in Capote. But Almost Famous is absolutely fantastic. He's Lester Bangs, and the kid is actually Cameron Crowe, who, as a kid, followed the band around, and that movie is just fantastic. I'm going to confess, I don't think I've ever seen Almost Famous straight through. Oh, you haven't? You'd love it. Add that to my Really? You've got to see that. I have seen Along Came Polly about five times. Let it rain! Let it rain! Take it roll! Take it roll! Outlet! Just flanking jump shots. There's a there's another soundbite from Along Came Polly that we probably we get in trouble if we played it on the air. But let's just say uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is at I believe an art gallery gathering and has an unfortunate incident with his pants. Did you see him in Boogie Nights and not getting to the bathroom in time? Did you see him in yes, Boogie Nights? Yes, I love Boogie Nights. There's so many. Like he, he was the villain in Mission Impossible Three, uh, drug overdose in a New York City apartment, needle yes. in his arm. Is that yes. what we're saying? I believe it was heroin related, it's which is bad. very sad. We've got more Mackie and Judd just around the corner. Phil Mackie, Judd Zolgad. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Mackie and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. 
you news today, Phil Mackey, about Thomas Vanek, who I guess might be one step closer to joining the Wild as a free agent? Yeah, it fits under the as-expected tagline. It appears that Thomas Vanek's stay with the Islanders likely will not last beyond the March 5th NHL trading deadline. NHL sources have informed Newsday that Vanek turned down a substantial contract offer from the Islanders and that GM Garth Snow is now fielding offers for the 30-year-old wing who I would assume if he's traded by uh, March 5th will be a rental for somebody into the postseason. And then if all goes as expected, Thomas Vanek will join the Wild as a free agent. The only interesting thing here... Wait, that was actually written in the article? No, no, no. I said that. Oh. The only interesting point here to make is after Buffalo traded him to the Islanders, Louis Nanny, who appears with us on Thursday, said he was a little bit concerned because the assumption all along was that there was no way he would stay in Buffalo. Louis was a little bit concerned he might get to the island and the family might like the lifestyle out there and stay out there, but this makes it look like he is definitely planning if he can on coming home, which is not a surprise because the wife's from Stillwater. And as we know, Ryan Suter came back here partially 25% because his guy Zach Parisi was here and 75% because his wife's from Bloomington. Oh, such a bizarre trade to begin. What did the Islanders give up for Vanek in the first place? First round pick? Uh, they gave, uh, At least a first round yeah, pick. Yeah, I right? got to find what they gave up, but they also gave up one of their bright young prospects. But they've been one of the worst teams in the NHL for a while. And location's Here great and all, but, you know, if they're still, right now, only two teams in the East have fewer points than the Islanders. When that trade was made in the first place, my mm-hmm. first thought was, boy, unless he loves living out in I that think, area, yeah, I think that's what there's no on. way he's going to re-sign. And if you're the Islanders, why wouldn't you have that conversation with him and his agent before the trade's made? All right, we're going to make this trade only if there's an 80% chance that you're going to sign a contract extension with us. The Islanders traded Matt Molson, a conditional 2014 first-round pick, and a 2015 second-round pick to Buffalo for Vanek. That's mm-hmm. what they gave up. So... If he comes back here, it'll be interesting to see, too, because the Wild salary cap, the salary cap's going up now. And so the Wild's going to have some room to play with. By how much? Uh, I got to look it up. But they came, the issue was, in, in the new collective bargaining agreement, they got it to come down for this season, and now next season it's going to go back up. So it was actually pretty high, came back down for this year, and it's going to go back up. So, so that's going to give them more room So if they want to sign him. The question is, and I think the answer is yes, but the question is, he's going to be turned 31 or so during the course of next season. How long do you want to sign him for? So they're going to gain six or seven million with Danny Heatley coming off the books, right? Mm-hmm. Thomas Vanek's contract is it going to be in that ballpark, or is are we talking more like eight or nine million bucks a year for? Because thirty-one, you're still technically in well, your prime if you're a forward. And the other question is uh, not only financials but term, because remember, Suter and Prezi got what ten years apiece. Was it nine years? Nine or ten years, yeah. But the point oh, is, is it, yeah. But the point is you're paying you're paying them beyond when they are probably still going to be effective. Are mm-hmm. you gonna do that again or do you say we've got to be responsible? This team, I think the one thing that we know about the wild is they gotta find more goal scoring somewhere. They need got they need more people that can finish. But they don't and, have and, it. and on the roster right now, Granlin's Granlin has really come into his own compared to last year, but Granlin at every level, not that he can't change this going forward because he's only what, twenty two years old. Granlin's always been more of a distributor than a scorer Granlin's at every single level. Right. He's, he's more of a Koivu than a Parisi in that sense. The Wild doesn't, which isn't a bad thing. It just the, you got to find scores. The Wild doesn't really have a guy that can finish. I mean, they've got guys that can score goals, but if you're talking about out and out, can I count mm-hmm. on this guy every night? I don't know that they have that. Guy. I had somebody, let's just say, a connection through the U of M. I didn't know Thomas Vanek when I went to school there, but we overlapped by a couple of years at the U of M and just had some mutual connections. Okay, and uh, this person said still keeps in regular contact with Thomas Vanek and his family. They're, they're friends. And he said, this is probably three months ago, right? I guess it would have been right around the time that the trade happened. 
that Thomas Vanek would come back to Minnesota for far less money than people think. That if it's between Minnesota for you know three or four million and somewhere else for six million, Minnesota would be his choice. If the wife wants take to that come, for what it's if, worth. If your wife wants to come back here, you come back here. That's my theory. Jerome Felton, Vikings fullback, talk Super Bowl with us next. Mackie and Judd, fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd back with you, Vikings fullback. Jerome Felton joins us now, as he has throughout the season, and Jerome certainly appreciate the time. You are traveling today. I'm sure you saw it yesterday. It's a Super Bowl, Seattle 43, Denver 8. Let's start off with this one. What happened? Man, they ran into a bus stop. It looked like, uh, you know, Seattle's defense was hitting on all cylinders, and there's not much uh, they could do about it. I mean, you know, just from the start of the game, you know, that snapped over, over Peyton's head, and being a safety, that kind of set the tone for the whole game, and they could really never get out of that rut once they got in it. Now, there, there's talk about about when things changed, and, and I heard a couple shows today saying that when Percy returned that kickoff for, for, uh, for the touchdown to start the third quarter, that that changed things. But I'm with you. I thought when that ball went over Peyton's head and turned into a safety, Jerome, I thought to myself, okay, there's plenty of time left here, no big deal. But I never really think I saw the Broncos come back after that. It, it was as if that went wrong, and they started to say to themselves, oh, my gosh, what's next? Yeah, I mean, they, I don't think they got a first down the whole first quarter. So, you know, whenever that happens, you know, that's not that's usually not a good sign. So, yeah, they just they were just in a rut just from the beginning of the game. You know, it was almost like they were never warmed up or never ready to go. So, uh, you know, the Seahawks just kept piling it on. I mean, they came to play. They were physical. Uh, they were out hustling them. They were running to the ball. You know, everything like that. So, uh, you know, they played a great game. So you got to give a lot of credit to Seattle. You know, I, I kind of thought going in, and I was obviously dead wrong, that if you give Peyton Manning two weeks to prep and look at film, and he's well aware of what the legacy discussions are, if you give him two weeks, he's going to dissect any defense, and as it turns out, the exact opposite happened. What makes Seattle's defense so hard to crack and so hard to read? And they just have, I mean, once they get you into a certain mode, they're, they're hard to deal with. I mean, they have those guys coming off the edge, Cliff April, Clemens, uh, Bennett, and then they're really long and, and strong on the outside of their corners. And, you know, Cam Chancellor played a great game. He was physical. I think he kind of set the tempo early in that game when he hit uh, Demarius Thomas. So, you know, they just have a lot of weapons, and they play really well together. I mean, you can tell they're out there having a good time. They're playing hard. Uh, you can tell they love playing together. And, uh, you know, when you have that cohesion like they seem to have, uh, you know, they're tough to deal with. So how much of it for them is physical attributes and speed versus scheme? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, they, they've they done a really good job of assembling that defense. And, you know, they got guys in there, like I said, coming off the edge. And, uh, you know, once, once you can get up on a team like that and let those defensive ends loose and as good as their corners are, I mean, that's, that's a recipe disaster. And, like I said, you know, Denver could never get anything going, and it just took them too long to even get a first down. So, you know, whenever that happens, it's trouble. So, Jerome Felton, I told everybody last week, and you played with this guy, so it didn't surprise you, I'm sure. I told everybody last week, I don't care if Percy Harvin has played in one-plus game this season. You put that guy on the field, and his God-given athletic abilities could make him the MVP of this game. And I had people say, no, he's missed too much time. Were you surprised at all how effective Percy was yesterday? I mean, not really. Uh, you know, when he went back to that kickoff, uh, I was, you know, as soon as he came up, I was like, okay, well, that was smart on Denver's part. But you know, he must have kicked it a little too deep. And as soon as Percy got and got his hands on the ball, I knew he was going to make a play. So, I mean, he's such a dynamic playmaker. And, you know, he can run the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield, split out wide. You obviously see what he can do in the return game. Um, I don't think anybody was surprised. You know, I was kind of looking at Twitter 
and seeing what people were saying. And, you know, you saw Adrian kind of say, uh, you know, same old Percy. So, uh, you know, he's such an explosive guy that it didn't look like he lost a step. What makes him so good? I mean, this is a guy, the, the one observation uh, from covering him, Jerome, that I had through the years with Percy was this, though. He's not only so good because athletically he's so gifted, but he's also one of the smartest football players on the field that I've seen. This guy, every situation, it's as if he knows what's coming. Yeah, I mean, you know, he prepares well. That's one thing about him. I just remember when I came, first came here, you know, I didn't know a whole lot about Percy except that he was a beast. Um, I came here just to see how he takes, how serious he takes the game, how hard he works in practice, things like that. And then, you know, when you get up to the field and you put all his physical attributes and then the fact that he's fearless, like that guy, he doesn't care who's in front of him. He will try to run you over if you're a linebacker. I've seen him do it, actually. So, you know, fearless, hard worker, smart, explosive. I mean, if you have all those attributes, you're going to be pretty good, and he, he definitely is. And you know what? After yesterday, you see him house the kick and basically ice that game because if, if he returns that kick, and the, the Broncos are probably thinking, all right, if we score the first touchdown in the second half, we might be back in this, and Percy puts an end to the conversation. After yesterday, yeah. both both teams probably feel like they got a pretty good deal in that trade. The, the Seahawks got the guy who iced the Super Bowl, and you guys wind up with Xavier Rhodes, money to sign Greg Jennings, and I'm not sure if Cordero Patterson would have been drafted if Percy was on the roster. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, one thing is with Percy, uh, you know, just being around him, I'm happy for him. And uh, I know you could, you could see he had a lot of joy in himself, and I think he's in a good spot. Um, you know, I definitely think whenever you lose a playmaker like that, it hurts, but you know, we were able to do some good things in the draft and get a couple guys that you know can go help replace me. You know, Corey is a great kickoff returner also, and he's really coming along on the offensive side. So, you know, honestly, I think it was a win-win for everybody. And you know, being a player and being a you know Percy's friend, I'm happy for him because I know he's happy in his situation now. Jerome Felton hanging out with us here on Mackie and Judd. It, it seems like Seattle's culture has a lot to do with their success. Some of the new things that Pete Carroll and company have implemented. Uh, whether it's yoga, meditation, sort of the positive atmosphere. And you guys have a new coaching staff coming in here with Mike Zimmer and Norv Turner. I saw Brian Robinson tweet something last night. Hey, get your minds right, guys. Let's let's try and be there next year. How much do you start thinking about the Vikings and your team as as you watch other teams celebrate like you did last night? Man, it just uh, you know I was with a couple of people and I was just telling them how 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 amazing I would be able to play in that atmosphere and that type of game. So. You know, one thing you look at, like, Pete Carroll and kind of how he has that team going and you hear about it, they're so competitive every single day in practice and they're just trying to win the day. And, uh, you know, you kind of hear some of the same things with uh, Zimmer. And, uh, you know, obviously I think they have a, probably a little bit of a way of approaching it, but, you know, the guys love him. Everybody plays hard for him, and you can see that in his defense. So you know, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm looking forward to the offseason. I'm looking forward to April, us getting back together and kind of seeing where we're at. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to expect big things next year. That being said, too, Jerome, does it get tough to, to watch a game like that? I mean, when you're watching Super Bowls and you're watching the Seahawks run around on the field and celebrate, as a guy who plays in that league and, and who ultimately wants to get to that point, does there become a point where it's tough and you say, you know what, I'm just going to turn this off? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I heard a stat, I think they said 97% of the people that ever play in the NFL never make the Super Bowl. Wow. And, um, you know, watching that game, I knew several guys, you know, guys I used to play with Derek Coleman, Cliff Averill, um, Manny Ramirez. So, you know, to see them have success personally, you see them have success, I mean, it makes me the fire and me to want to get there too. So, you know, I'm hoping I'm part of that 3%. And, uh, you know, we're going to work hard this offseason and try to get there. And, sir, the key factor there, all of them escape Detroit, right? <laughs> that is very true. <laughs> I'm due. I'm due. So I'm going to work hard and try to get that. How much did you get to know Peyton Manning in your short time in Indy? 
Um, just a little bit. I mean, you know, he was a lot of times he was doing his rehab and yeah. uh, things like that. But, you know, one thing, even with him being out all year, I mean, he addressed the team several times. And, you know, I was around him at the Pro Bowl uh, last year a little bit. And, you know, as I feel bad for him, obviously, you know, you always hear this legacy talk, this and that. But, you know, he's one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. He's won a Super Bowl when other guys haven't. So, uh, you know, you feel for him a little bit. But, you know, that's part of the game. And, uh, you know, he's a great player. And I'm sure he'll be competing for it next year again. And you mentioned the word legacy. That's that's the hard conversation because the, he is without a doubt, and, and I'm assuming he's going to play another year or two unless doctors tell him he can't, he's going to hold every meaningful regular season record. He's going to have the touchdowns record probably midseason next year. He's going to have the yardage record. And the only hurdle remaining is the drop-off in playoff performance. And you, yeah. you mentioned top-five quarterback, but... I feel like if he would have won that game yesterday, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been top five. It would have been with yeah. a bullet, number one all-time, end of discussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, that's a tough conversation to have. And, I mean, you look at quarterbacks, you, know, you look at Dan Marino, you know, he never won one as great as he was. So, uh, you know, it, it is a tough legacy. And, and, you know, I was actually cheering for Denver just because of that. You yeah. know, I, I want him, you know, he's, he works so hard and he's such a great player in our league. You know, you almost feel like he deserves multiple Super Bowls. So, you know, I, I, I you hate to have this conversation, you know, about legacy come up. But obviously, I'm hoping I win the Super Bowl next year. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm sure, he, like I said, I'm sure he's going to compete for it for the next year or two and maybe three. So, you know, obviously it depends on his health, God willing. But, you know, he's a great player and there's nobody can ever question that. Um, and we'll see, you know, his, his book's not written yet. So we'll see what the future holds. It's like Favre, too, though. I mean, Favre's a guy got to one, one Super Bowl, he won it, he lost it, and then I think the last two memorable Favre things are what, 2007 NFC title game, right, and 2009. So, and yeah. it doesn't take it doesn't take away, Jerome, from these guys being great, but it certainly is part of the discussion, and you can solidify yourself with that extra win. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when you want to talk about the best ever, uh, you know, number one all time to ever play this game, so many great players coming before you, you know, that's important. So, I mean, you know, he does have one, and like I said, I mean, I think to put him in that category, you know, he probably has to get another one or two. So, like I said, we'll see. We'll see what is, uh, you know, the end of his book, is, you know, is because it hasn't been written yet, I don't think. So we talk about uh, in his fans, media, we talk about this all the time, right? Legacies, mm-hmm. what what this guy is about, blah, blah, blah. How much does that occur in locker rooms? Like, will you guys talk about that, that next year, about Peyton, if he's having a great season? Does it internally come up where you might, you know, look at the guy by you and say, Peyton Manning, fantastic, but Manny needs another Super Bowl ring. Do you guys ever talk about that as players? Probably not as much because you're so focused on yourself and you and your your quest to get to that game. So I wouldn't say it comes up that much. You know, you might have that. You know, maybe every blue moon a conversation like that. But you know, once you once you hit the off season, hit the season, you're so wrapped up in what you have to do to be successful that you know you probably don't worry about other people as much. We kind of want to fast forward to week one of next year. We're uh, we're, we're fired up after uh, after watching those playoffs. What happens next for you guys? Um, you know, we'll, we'll most guys will train on their own, and I think we'll probably report early April. I know the rules are a little different when you have a new coach. I want to say it's April seventh. So, um, you know, we'll just like you know, me personally, uh, you know, this is kind of my last week and have a good time. And now it's back to <laughs> back to the you know hustle bustle and the grind to get ready for next year. So I'm gonna start training this week and. Uh, you know, get ready for the off-season. Extra off-season camps, too, right? As far as uh, the, the camps go at Winter Park this off-season for you? Yeah, we're going to have two, I think, just with the new coaching staff. So, gotcha. uh, 
you know, as a veteran, it's not amazing, but, you know, I'm looking forward to it with a new coaching staff and just getting after it. How about offensive play number one for the Vikings next year? You at fullback, Peterson at running back, play action, and an 87-yard touchdown pass to Patterson. How does that sound for you? I think that sounds good, and I wouldn't rule that out. You know, like I said, I know Cordero's working. I saw him this weekend, and I know he's working hard, and he's excited about next year, and you know, I'm, I'm sure they're going to have some big things for him. So I think, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the offseason brings with free agency in the draft. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking forward to getting everything started. Thanks, Jerome. All right. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Good Take stuff, care. man. That was great stuff. Jerome Felton. fantastic. Are you not already, like, depressed that football season's basically – I mean, they always have the offseason stuff and leading up to the draft, but I want week one to be here in well, Football's the greatest thing ever for us, I'm too. a baseball guy, first and foremost. I know you but, are. I know you are. Jerome Felton, by the way, has been on with us all season. Tom West called me from the Vikings PR department about week three and said, Jerome Felton wants to get some reps on radio. Would you like to have him on once a week? This is in September, you're yes. saying. Yeah, but I'm saying this guy basically said, I want to do this. He's fantastic. Yeah. Mackey and Judd, more next. Phil Mackey. When you look at him, man, he looks like a bad guy in a Paul Walker movie. Uh, you know, <laughs> Judd Zolgad. He speaks nonsense. Just speaks right it out nonsense. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Listen to this, Judd. Yes, sir. Cam Chancellor. Ten tackles, interception last night. Mm-hmm. Fifth round draft pick. Malcolm Smith, Super Bowl MVP. The pick six, seventh round draft pick. Russell Wilson, third yep. round draft pick. Richard Sherman, fifth round draft pick. You're sensing a theme here. Yes. Doug Baldwin, touchdown in the Super Bowl last night, led the Seahawks in receiving yards last night. Undrafted. Jermaine Kearse caught a touchdown last night on offense for the Seahawks. He also went undrafted. I stopped after six. I could probably keep going because... What was it? Seventy percent of their roster is made up of players who were drafted after the third round or who went completely undrafted, mm-hmm. and it just brings up a larger picture conversation about how unbelievable that culture is. The Pete Carroll and Paul Allen, all the way up to the top, the owner that they've instilled here in the last three years. And don't forget John Schneider too, who, by yeah. the way, was uh, Ted Thompson's right hand guy in Green Bay. And you know what job John Schneider wanted back in two thousand six? This one. Yes, he wanted to work for the Vikings, which would have been it would not it would have been pretty much equivalent of the Seattle job in this sense. Pete Carroll runs the show there, personnel wise. Mm-hmm. Schneider kicks in with ideas. Schneider has the GM title, but he's not a GM like Rick Spielman is. But John Schneider, who is a talented young man and who went to St. Thomas, wanted the job here. And those two between them have made some great moves. And here's the other thing though about their culture. It's not just that they find guys free agents, late-round draft picks. It's that they're willing to play these guys, give them time. The Russell Wilson example to me is incredible. Think about this. Think about the Minnesota Vikings. Let's say they had gone out, and they've been looking for a quarterback, so this is a good parallel. If the Vikings had gone out and gotten Matt Flynn and said, okay, we're going to sign a big contract. He's been successful. What little we've seen of him, Mm -hmm. but we're taking a leap of faith that Matt Flynn is our guy. Can you imagine then, because this would never happen, you can't, Rick Spielman in that draft saying, oh, Russell Wilson's there, third round. We can get him. We're going to take him. And then we're going to create a comp- an open competition in our training camp. And then Russell Wilson, a rookie who many thought was too small, is going to beat out the highly paid quarterback you just signed. 
Think about the amount of crow. I mean, it's worked out, so it looks great. And it worked out pretty quickly, and so I think a lot of people said good decision. But initially, think about going to ownership and saying, I know we just signed Matt Flynn to this huge contract. I know we did it. But Ziggy and Mark, here's the deal. I think we have now found a quarterback in the third round of the draft. Many teams would never, they would never take Russell Wilson because they wouldn't want to put themselves in that position. And their instincts, not only to draft Russell Wilson, but then to trust the fact that what they were seeing in camp was real. All right, this is this guy isn't just full of cliches and isn't just full of confident Tebow speak. You know, he really means what he's saying. I actually saw Carroll on the NFL Network last night after the podium celebrations and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And he said from day one, at first... A bunch of us in the front office and the coaching staff, we kind of put our heads together and said, "Is this guy just? Is he just talking and in puffery, just be, you know, just to kind of say this stuff, or does he actually mean it?" And over the course of time, they realized, no, he's dead serious with his optimism and his in his confidence, and he's basically set every every goal that he's set in the last two years, he's accomplished. And it kind of reminds me of the Seahawks and Russell Wilson and the way that they're progressing here in their first Super Bowl. It reminds me, in a different way, but similarly, of what the Bill Belichick-led, Tom Brady-led Patriots were 12 years ago. You got this team that kind of pops up quickly within two years. You know, nobody, I don't think anyone really figured Pete Carroll was going to figure it out this quickly in his third stint as a head coach. But you've got a progressive culture. you got a great coach who failed at least once before, which Bill Belichick was. He was a failed coach in Cleveland. You get a really, really good young quarterback that went later. He wasn't a highly drafted, highly touted quarterback out of college. Tom Brady wasn't either. And you're elite at drafting and developing. And the scary thing about the Seahawks is, Vikings fans, they're the youngest team of any team in the playoffs this year. Their quarterback's not going to get paid for a couple of years. Richard I, that's Sherman's, the key to me. You know, once, once you start paying Richard Sherman and Russell and Wilson, Russell it's going to get trickier. But the fact that they're so good at drafting and developing, this team isn't just a flash in the pan, one and done, like maybe the Ravens were last year, or at times have been, they're only going to get better if they keep drafting and developing the way that they have. And there's nothing that says this team's just getting lucky with fifth-round picks. I mean, their fifth-round picks are the ones that had 10 tackles and a pick last night, and and Richard Sherman, who's the best cover cornerback in the NFL. And the interesting thing is, if you look at it, though, if you go through their roster, they've made some bad moves. The Sidney Rice contract was completely irresponsible. They gave Sidney Rice who was made by Brett Favre for exactly one season. I believe they gave him $18.5 million guaranteed. Was that before Pete Carroll got there? It might have been it, it was, was, that offseason. Did John Schneider sign that contract? I think Schneider did. I'd have to look that up. But the fact is, that was a terrible contract. Yeah. $18.5 million for a guy who can't stay healthy and who hasn't stayed healthy since and might be done now was a terrible contract. They gave him that contract, but what did they also do? They also, as you just said, went and found free agent wide receivers. Which you can do. The difference, in my opinion, between the Patriots model and the Seahawks model is this, though. Drew Bledsoe gets hurt. So they put Brady in. And Brady's great. It works out fantastic. But what the Patriots, to me, while they've been successful, are much more of a stay-in-your-lane National Football League type of culture. So Bledsoe gets hurt. Brady comes in. Brady plays great. You realize that you've got something. The Seahawks signed a quarterback who they quickly realized they had made a big mistake on. He didn't even have to get hurt. They mm-hmm. just said, we made a yeah. mistake. We've got a better third-round pick. And that's where, from ownership on down, the Seahawks are a very, very interesting model. And it's going to be – I'm intrigued to see if it's going to be copied because teams love – in this league, you love to copy the model that works. But the Seahawks have so redefined things that I wonder if uh, traditional owners and GMs and coaches in this league – 
could ever actually get their heads around and go to school on what the Seahawks have done. Because the NFL is the biggest model of we do it this way, and here's why. And but we've that's, always but done that's it this ridiculous. Way. I agree. I mean, you and I agree that that's ridiculous. I'm, I'm with you, but think about it. Think we, about how things always, you know, things always work this way. You and I were just I'm talking before the show started at eight o'clock this morning about how in other forms of business, in other other realms outside of sports, if you want to launch a company, you want to launch a tech company, you want to create some sort of an internet application and make millions of bucks off of it. You can't just look at the blueprint for Twitter. You can't just look at the blueprint for Instagram and say, well, we can copy that and succeed. If you try to copy that, number one, they're not going to tell you what all of their internal strategies are because they're not made public. And number two, if you try to copy it, you're going to fail because you're just a beta version, a B-rate version right. of something that's successful. Sports are different. Sports, you've got 30 teams or 32, depending on what sport you're talking about. Especially in, in sports like baseball and basketball where metrics are available, you can look and see, all right, well... The Cardinals won the World Series. What kind of pitchers do the Cardinals have? How hard do they throw? What kind of pitches do they throw? What kind of ground ball? I mean, you can break it down to ground ball rates. If you're not following blueprints in sports, right. and if you're not copying teams that have won championships, you're stupid. I mean, you are. It's, it would be stupid to not... If you're a team right now like the Browns, you'd be stupid not to go and pluck a Dan Quinn or go pluck the third guy in line, who's our boy from Fulda, um, Trent, um, the the pro oh, is it the, Kirchner? The, Trent Kirchner. He's the director of pro personnel for right. the Seahawks. Grab the third guy in line. If you're the Twins, grab the third guy in okay. line with the Rays and say, "How do you win 95 games every year with no hold on payroll?" A second, though, don't you think that baseball? Don't you think you have more of of, and not across the board, but don't you think there's more progressive young thinkers in baseball now than football? Football football is is evolving a lot more than. It has at any point. But football also has people, even if they have different ideas about how an offense or defense runs on the field, football has a very uh, straight-ahead mentality. This is how we've done it. So you would almost have to go, you're right, you'd almost have to go to the Seahawks and get their people. Because you can't you can't call Rick Spielman in tomorrow and say, hey, Rick, I really like what Seattle's doing. Can, the Vikings just hired Mike Zimmer, who's almost, what, 60 years old, right? Now, Mike Zimmer, might, Mike, Mike Zimmer might be a fantastic coach. I have no idea how this is going to work out. But you know as well as I do that Mike Zimmer believes in what Mike Zimmer believes in. Mm-hmm. Pete Carroll is a really interesting case study because here's a guy that coached the Jets very briefly, the Patriots very briefly, went to USC, got in trouble, but also learned lots of lessons and said, okay, my third time around in the NFL, this is how I'm going to do it. And I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn what people believe upside down and do it completely differently. For football people, for NFL people to actually get their head around that and say we'd like to do that is one thing. For them to actually execute it, I think, is another thing. Pete Carroll spent however long he was at USC, almost a decade, eight years, whatever it was. He spent the entire time taking notes for when he were to become uh, a head coach again in the future because he knew that he was maybe going to get one more shot. And, and Reggie Bush was getting him in trouble. Over. Yeah, and he knew he was out the door because <laughs> Reggie Bush is over there taking some handouts on the side. Uh, it was his goal to fund this is and there's a great piece in ESPN the magazine from I think August or September before the season started explaining the Seahawks culture. And Pete Carroll said he wanted to fundamentally change the way the players were coached in today's NFL. And so his big idea was he's always been kind of a happy go lucky guy, but everyone in, in the facility not just his relationship with players, but he wanted everyone from the top of the front office all the way down to the special teams assistant coach to be positive, no swearing, do a better job at your job 
on this day, whether it's a Wednesday practice in week eight, than anyone's ever done before. Their, their building has high ceilings because it's if high ceilings are seen as a way for people to like be li- creative. No, like literally high yes, ceilings. Yes, their building has, no, no, their building has <laughs> higher ceilings than most buildings because they feel that's a way to create a positive culture where thought is well. Basically, the Seattle Seahawks welcome opinions. They welcome you to have a differing opinion. Think about what I just said and mm-hmm. take that into many. Uh, take that into the Patriots facility and see how that works. Hey, Bill, I don't think you're doing this right. What do you think about this? Get the bleep out of my office. But how much of this conversation has to do with actual culture and how much has to do with what you started the segment with, which is great personnel moves? For every mistake you've made, you have then gone back and either drafted really well in late rounds and or assigned free agents. So how much of this is really focused on culture and how much is based on just the good old-fashioned you made some fantastic personnel moves. Okay, when we uh, hold, pause right there. When, when we get back here, some of the things that they've implemented that no other team has implemented, I found this piece from ESPN the magazine. Some of the stuff is going to blow your mind that the Seahawks do, that the Vikings don't do, that the Patriots don't do, that a lot of teams don't do. Mackey and Judd, 1500 ESPN. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Still a team that just is walking that edge. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. wanted to be a great team all the way throughout. We wanted to be a great team where that means you played real well in all phases and where we had no weaknesses and we tried to show that during the course of the season. It kind of, it kind of turned out that way uh, tonight at least and so we're excited about that. Judd, these are some of the things the Seahawks are doing internally mm-hmm. that either no other team or very, very few other teams are doing. Okay. Now, you can attribute however much you want, of these things to their success. I think that it just has to do with the overall culture. You're Paul Allen. You're worth $15 billion. That doesn't just happen by accident. You don't just gain a net worth of $15 billion overseeing a company like Microsoft, innovative well, company like Microsoft. I was going to say, that's the key to me. You didn't. This isn't $15 billion gain from real estate, for instance. Mm-hmm. You were outside the box from the day you were born to get to where you are, which is why you're affected. And you're always thinking about, What's going to happen in two years? Because you oversee a company like, whether it was Steve Jobs with Apple or Microsoft, these are technology companies. So you're, yep. you're trained to be thinking five, ten years down the road. You're preparing for how the market's going to shift. You're forecasting how the market's going to shift. And good teams in sports do the same thing. The, the uh, Seahawks have implemented team meditation and yoga sessions with a high-performance sports psychologist named uh, Mike Gervais. For newcomers to his sessions, according to ESPN the magazine, Judd, Gervais keeps them short, about six minutes. For those with some experience, he prepares longer, more individualized meditations. No one is required to be there, yet about 40% of the players show up at various times each week to breathe in, breathe out, and open their minds. All right. Yoga sessions. Number one, in your opinion, this article, ESPN the magazine, came out when? September? Yeah, sometime right before the season, so maybe late August, early September. Percentage of NFL executives that read that right there about yoga and rolled their eyes and today are actually saying, we should look into we this. We should go get a yoga coach. We should go I'm bring dead serious. In. The, the NFL, is, it's such a copycat league. That's the type of thing they'd be like, this might not be a bad idea. Yelling and swearing are frowned upon. If a player is dragging at practice, a coach will be proactive and ask why instead of jumping to conclusions and berating him in front of his teammates. How about this? That includes assistant head coach Tom Cable. You might remember Tom Cable from punching players in the face when he was in Oakland. No, it was Randy Hansen, the former Viking assistant that he took out. 
That's right. And was actually investigated. Yeah. Now, the former hot head coach of the Raiders says, quote, I always coached how my coaches coached me, which goes to what you're saying. It's the NFL. This is the way we've always done it. how we do it. Cable says, working alongside Carroll, 48-year-old Tom Cable says he finally feels as though he's working with players the right way. Quote, if I go ballistic on a guy because he dropped his outside hand or missed an underneath stunt, who's wrong? I am, Cable says. Tom Cable, the the perceived meathead of all meatheads, punching assistants in the face when he was with Oakland, has come to realize the new aginess of Pete Carroll's ways. But think about how brilliant that is when it comes to players today. Think about what's effective with players, especially star players, coming out of college today, right? Mm-hmm. Is Percy Harvin going to take it better when you yell at him? Or if you say, pull him aside and say, Percy, you're great, you're fantastic, but why don't you try this instead? And this is a, it's a totally this a generational thing. This is 1975. This is, and it's... Yeah, hey, I'm I'm not yet 30 years old, and I can I remember growing up, and it, your first instinct. First of all, we always got consolation trophies, even if we finished fifth place in the tournament. No, that's your nobody gen- ever that's really your got sorry generation. Nobody ever really got cut from teams. Yeah. You either made the B team or the C team or the non traveling team. Uh, but your our first instinct as people under the age of 30, growing up in junior high, high school, if you got yelled at, your first thought was, "Wait a second, does this guy have any credibility?" Right. Or if it's a college professor or something, you're thinking, wait, you're not an adjunct professor. You're just a grad assistant who's teaching us from a book. You don't know it. That instead of maybe when you grew up, and you're only in your low 40s, so maybe it's different. I'm 44. But, I'm getting up there, Phil. But, you okay. know, the, our elders who might have grown up just accepting every criticism and, and every authoritative figure as gospel. But you think about... Percy Harvin doesn't do that. And you think about how things have changed from, from let's say, 1976 or 1980 even. There was a time when it was considered weak during training camp to go get water, right? I mean, if you don't evolve... If Corey you Stringer do- changed that, obviously. Yes, right. But if you don't evolve, if you don't see that maybe what you consider to be a really good idea 35 years ago... Now, I would argue that every kid should not get a trophy. I think we have raised a soft generation, but I do think there are ways to get through to people that are far more effective than some old guy yelling and screaming and stomping around. And by the way, we both covered this guy... Safe to say that Kansas City Chiefs running back coach and former Vikings running back coach Eric Bieniemy would not last in Seattle very long. Man, him and Peterson used to clash, right? 2007, he was was mostly mad that Peterson couldn't pick up any blitzes, which is still a problem for Peterson. But you covered covered the same training camp I did, which is where, because poor Bieniemy always yelled himself hoarse. He said, hey, do it, do it, you stink. (laughs) Big big can of chew, too. Oh, and poor Peterson would, you know, and and Adrian's a good kid. I mean, that's the thing about him, right? He'd be there, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I'm Adrian Peterson. So, yes, there are more effective ways to get through to people. Here's another one. A group of 15 to 20 Seahawks players undergoes trial session neurotopia brain performance testing. What the hell does that mean? I'll explain it. These players update every week on their iPads what's going on in their lives, like how much sleep they're getting, their goals, how they're dealing with stress. The sports psychologist then evaluates how eating habits and other factors affect moods, goals, performance, and everything. Basically, uh, this is a quote from Russell Wilson, we do imagery work and talk about having that innovative mindset of being special. Basically what he's saying is if players have a bad game, let's say you go out, you're Russell Wilson, throw a couple interceptions, they have data about what you ate that week, how much you slept, um, whether you got in a fight with your girlfriend or your wife or you know someone in your family is sick, yep. and they're able to correlate all of these patterns. So they might say, hey, Judd, you do horrible radio when you get seven and a half hours of sleep. You're at your best when you get five and a half hours of sleep and drink 
two and a half cups of coffee instead of four and a half cups of coffee. Oh, well, then that's how much they break this down in Seattle. So, how much of a culture shock do you think this was? You do was? great radio all the time. Well, thank you so much. And so do you. Although my name is second now. How much of a culture shock? Yeah, it must sh- not have been too great. How much of a culture shock <laughs> do you think this was for the Childress Vikings guys who got there, including Bevel? Think about that. Think about what we saw from Brad. And I, I don't mean to rag on Brad here, right? But Heath Farwell, Sidney Rice, Percy yeah. Harvin. T-Jack. Uh, Stephen Hauschka Stephen spent Hauschka. some time in camp. Stephen Hauschka. How much of a culture shock do you think it was when they first got to Seattle and they're doing yoga and this Tom uh, Cable's doing yoga? Yeah, like complimenting players on there. Do you think they walked in their... the door and said to themselves, "This is the National Football League"? Dude, it really it, it it feels like you're going to some offshore, you know, shady massage parlor or something. That's the, when well, I when I read some of this stuff. What Suhan said. At practice, they have the beautiful fields out there, and when you and when Russell Wilson overthrows a guy, it goes in the water. Yeah. Think about that. Here's another one. At Winter Park, it goes into roughage. <laughs> Here's another one. The Seahawks screen blood panels of struggling players, sort of like what I just talked about with mm-hmm. you know, finding out why players struggle. The goal here is to find deficiencies in certain amino acids that act as important indicators of whether a person lacks sufficient levels of dopamine and serotonin. Yes, that, that was a sentence in English that the Seahawks implement. The Seahawks are looking for why players get into a funk, not just how to shake them out of it. This doesn't sound like sports. But this goes back this to This is so innovative. But this goes back to Paul Allen deserves a ton of credit for this because imagine when you go to your owner and say and put this list in front of them and say this is who we want to hire, this mm-hmm. is what we want to do because this all costs money. And you say this is the vision. It's unheard of. This is also kind of why Daryl Bevel intrigued me a little bit. I think most people associate Daryl Bevel with Brad Childress, and well, he's just a Brad, he's just a more boring version of Brad Childress because he doesn't have a dynamic personality. I'm guessing Daryl Bevel's personality—it's not going to be Pete Carroll, it's not going to be Rex Ryan. It's probably more dynamic working in a culture like the one in Seattle than it would be working under Brad Childress. But the idea of bringing a guy in who's worked with a young quarterback. Um, who's had success in a culture that's clearly one of the winningest cultures right now in the NFL. Right. And to be able to say, all right, bring you over here, or Dan Quinn even, the defensive coordinator, bring you over here, implement what you think needs to be implemented from a cultural standpoint. You're hoping that Mike Zimmer is going to bring in a good culture. It's probably not going to be anything like the one we saw in Seattle. And the one we see in Seattle isn't the only way you can win. I mean, the 49ers might have a completely different culture, but we know that what Seattle's doing is different and it works for but, them. But my contention from day one when it came to Bevel is the Vikings people who are still here, Spielman, wasn't going to bring him back. More so than ever now, if our discussion is going in is going in the direction of, hey, Daryl Bevel, we want you to be our head coach, and we don't want you just to bring your football philosophies. We want you to bring the Seahawks philosophies do you really think for one second the people that were in Winter Park previously are going to want that? That's almost turning over the franchise sure. to Bevel. Yeah. This is almost a deal. The more you talk about this, the guy that would intrigue me to give more power to, basically full power, would be John Schneider. Mm-hmm. Because John, because I you think, mean if you're if because if you're going to the go, Vikings or what do you mean if, if you're a team that's going to hire if you're going to hire someone from the Seahawks and say take everything you know. And let's implement a lot of that here. I don't care what team you are. Cleveland, Minnesota. See, Cleveland's, that's why Cleveland's but, ridiculous. But, my, I mean, but here's my point. Let's look at the Buffalo Bills defensive coordinator. And, you don't think for one second that Rick Spielman's really going to hire a guy who's going to come in and say, I'm going to overhaul really how you do things here to the point of we're going to do yoga here and well, we're going to do blood be, well, testing. You'd have to blow out Rick Spielman. You would. But that's why my point is John Schneider, the GM in Seattle, who I don't think has full authority there, he intrigues me even more because you'd be basically blowing up the whole model. 
if you go to this, you're blowing up the entire model. And that goes back to my point is I think there's still going to be a lot of a lot of football teams that might say that might look at what the Seahawks have done and just they can't get their head around that. Then again, they the, say I can't do that. The other dynamic between when you're talking about plucking a guy from a successful culture, you got to be careful not to hire based on proximity to success. You don't just hire a programmer from Google because he worked at Google. Right. Was he driving the bus for Google's success or not? And that's and where that, Schneider intrigues me because he is he is firsthand side by side working with Carroll, and he's mm-hmm. a bright young guy and he's got ideas. I mean, Adam Gaze would be hiring proximity to Peyton Manning. You know, now Adam Gaze might be a good offensive right. coordinator, but I would never hire a guy who's that young, who's that close to Peyton Manning, and then give him ninety percent credit for that offense. That'd be ridiculous. Adam Gaze would be hired based on the fact that he worked with Peyton Manning and Mike McCoy, who was hired by San Diego, who had been Denver's OC, had success previously. Mm-hmm. You'd be hiring Gaze, thinking that Gaze could do for you what McCoy did for the Chargers, and I think that's premature. Mm. Speaking of premature, Mackie and Judd are on. 1500 ESPN. Dude, all right, Dave Harrigan, read to the listeners the quote you just read to Judd and I 10 seconds ago. Off well, the air. To, to background it a little bit, Doug Baldwin, Seahawks receiver, after the uh, NFC Championship game, came out and said, Keyshawn Johnson, Chris Carter, people have been ripping the Seahawks receivers, get off our backs, blah, blah, blah. And Chris Carter, and a day or two later, I think it was maybe even on Mike and Mike, said, well, you know what? You shut up. Google me, by the way, Hall of Famer. Yeah, wow. Uh, well, after Chippy. the game, here's the quote from uh, Doug Baldwin. Uh, if those guys would do their jobs, they'd figure it out. Not going to say any names. Uh, if they would also do their jobs further, they, w- uh, they would see that we are the most efficient receiving core in the NFL. My man said that we were appetizers. He told me to Google him. I saw that he was a Hall of Famer. I didn't see any Super Bowl appearances. Yes. I would love to show him the Super Bowl ring, and if he doesn't want to come and see it personally, tell him to Google that. Oh, that's, that is good. Wow. I said, that Bal- I said Baldwin should say that. I Googled you, and you've never won a Super Bowl. Wow. He must be a listener. You never won a Super Bowl. That's so awesome. Chris. The ultimate mic drop. That's an Eminem at the end of 8 Mile but how mic smart, drop. how smart was Baldwin to actually have the guts to wait. He clearly just waited to make that comment. He he said, if we win the Super Bowl, I'll make the comment, and he did. Good for him. Undrafted. And in our conversation about how all these guys, Cam Chancellor, all these dudes who are fifth-round picks, undrafted, the Vikings have to have, you know, there's the the Brian Robinsons have popped up. John Sullivan was a, was a six-round pick. Uh, but you, know, you, you're, you need more guys like Josh Robinson. You need the Jamarcus Sanfords. But you know what this proves, Phil, to me? The biggest thing, and I know Sherman was, what, fifth round you said? But for the most part, this proves to me that if you're drafting, you draft by, by position, you can find wide receivers anywhere. You mm-hmm. can find running backs anywhere. Because wide receivers are more just a product of how good the quarterback is. Although mm-hmm. Tom Brady would tell you at this point, all right, enough's enough. Well, We've all proven that I'm amazing with crappy receivers. Can somebody get me Larry Fitzgerald and, as I'm 37 years old? And every once in a while, there's Calvin Johnson, who's a magnificent talent who deserves to go high in the draft. But for the most part, I think if you did, if you were to take your advanced metrics to how you do an NFL draft, mm-hmm. I think you would find the players aren't important, the positions are important. So right now, let's just rank... Importance of position, quarterback number one yep, in, quarter- t- in today's NFL. Quarterback number one. Quarterback number one, right-handed quarterback. If it's a right-handed quarterback, left tackle. Where do you put shutdown corner in that mix, though? I put that Richard Sherman, for instance. If you can find a shutdown corner, I would say that's number two. Left tackle might be number three. Offensively, think about offense. You can find running backs. You can find tight ends. 
you can find offensive linemen, although left tackle to me is extremely center, important. Center is key, but, center, you, but you can find... But you don't need to say, draft Matt, a center Matt real Burke, high. Matt Burke and John Sullivan were not high draft picks, yes, obviously. You can, so. you can wait to get a good center later in the draft. Uh, shutdown corner might be number two to me. Left tackle might be number three. Those two we could argue about. But if you in today's NFL, to find a shutdown corner who can play man effectively, mm-hmm. that is... How important is that? And we've seen that. And the other position is if you have, uh, if you're predominantly going against right hand quarterbacks, which you would be pass rushing right end if you play a 4 3. Yeah, pass rush, if you can get pressure on the quarterback and if you can throw the ball up, that's kind of where it starts well, in today's NFL. And so. think about all the Vikings gave up to get Jared Allen, and you would do that again in a heartbeat. That tra- they gave up a ton to get him, and it was worth it because go back before Jared Allen and look how long the Vikings tried to find an effective mm-hmm. right end. And they couldn't do it. And a good way it's to gauge to find them. A good way to gauge value is how much if if you're talking about a 25 year old at any given position who's in his prime, who still hasn't signed a huge contract, and you're gauging trade value. Let's say Peterson's 25 and Richard Sherman's 25, which mm-hmm. he is. You're going to give up more to get Richard Sherman than you would to give up Adrian uh, to get Adrian Peterson in today's are. NFL. That might not be the case 20 years ago. Uh, Dave, how can People win tickets to the golf show. Give us some details. Well, they could probably just call us with the correct answer to the very easy golf trivia question we're going to give right now. 651-646-8255. We're giving away a pair of tickets every day uh, up until the start of the golf show, which, by the way, runs February 14th through the 16th. It's a 2014 Venture Bank Golf Show. First caller with the correct answer to this question will get that pair of tickets. It's simple. Phoenix Open this weekend. Who won it? Tell me who won it. That's it, huh? You're heading it's to that, the golf show. It's that simple? That simple today. We'll make them tougher as the week goes. I think Suture's on line one here. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's who that is. 651-646-8255. By the way, we will be at the golf show, too. That should be lots of fun. Is that later this week? I'm trying to think. What's Later this week or next week? What are the dates, Dave, here the cali- Or is Dave on the phone? Right? I'd like to be on the color. phone. It's February 14th or the 16th. There we go. Oh, do we, so we can hang out and exchange our Valentine's gifts. And in fact, well, you speak for We're going to do that, right? We're going to make our Is the dissension going to be done boxes? by then? Is the dissension going to be through by then? Look at this. we got full phone lines for people. Gol- How can you be that into golf in January and February? You're evading my question. crazy. You're, you're avoiding my question. You're evading the question. Are we going to be, by Valentine's Day, are we going to be on the same page? As far as the show goes. What if it's just like, what if we get what if two we weeks never get in? Along? What if it's two weeks in and it's just... Well, Can you imagine little, working little, with a radio partner you don't like? Here's a story. That never happens in this business, ever. Here's a story about the Roycey and Mackey show and how it kind of came how it kind of came to be. Uh-oh. So I came, this oh, is, this is March, of, March of 2010. Um, we got a break in like 30 seconds, but Mar- I'll make it quick. March of 2010. Oh, you got time. We do two or three weeks of Roycey on sports and I was kind of the sidekick. So two weeks in... Management. We're talking the five heads of the head honchos in a room down the hallway. And I'm thinking, is this an intervention? The show is that bad already? And they said, ah, we want to make it the Roycey and Mackey show. Is that going to be okay with you? Looking around the room like... Absolutely not. No way. Uh, I guess. Sure. Was it that? So I thought it was a different meeting. I thought it was going to be an intervention meeting. But uh, Let's do this next. Mm -hmm. Let's rank them. When it comes to Super Bowl halftime shows, how does that sound? Sounds good to me. Mackie and Judd, 1500 ESPN. We're going to bust out another new segment here that will eventually have uh, an amazing pre-produced open. Are we going to rank them? Today, we're just going to have to use Dave Harrigan's FM DJ voice again. We're going to rank them. We're going <laughs> to rank them. <laughs> it's, not the FM, it's not even the FM DJ voice of Dave Harrigan. It's Dave Harrigan <laughs> spitting in the mic. <laughs> we're gonna rank them. We're gonna rank. We're gonna rank our, them with spittle. We heard last night. We heard uh, 
Some of this, little Bruno Mars. Yep. And any Super Bowl performance has mixed reviews. I loved it. I'm a huge Bruno Mars fan. Went to the United Center in Chicago this summer. Saw him perform. It was fantastic. He's shorter than you, by the way. How well, tall is he? I'm tall enough to ride the rides. I know you're tall enough to ride the rides, but Bruno might not be. Tall enough to party. <laughs> well, Bruno, I'm sure Bruno party's funny. It's a mix of reggae, soul, Motown, yep. R&B, uh, some pop music. Five foot five on Bruno Mars. He really, yeah. Oh, he, we got a little Red Hot Chili Peppers, He too. packs a mean soprano, though. Yeah, the Chili Peppers played like one song yes. with their shirts off, and then Bruno Mars came back out. But it got us thinking, let's rank our top five Super Bowl performances, halftime performances of all time. Do you want to lead us off and do the honors? I will. We'll I will. Start, uh, we got high production here, so we're going to start. Number five. Right there. Number five for me. The marching bands of yesterday. Oh, dude. The marching bands of yesterday. I went through the list this morning like looking all, at halftime. Like all of them? I'm going to put them all together back when the Super Bowl was, when <laughs> halftime was normal, when they just brought out a marching band and it was like a college bowl game. So the marching bands mm. of yesteryear are number five for me. They had marching bands pretty much for the first, like, 12 Super Bowls, didn't they? And then they went uh, up with people for a while. It was a, it was a mixed bag that really wasn't that big of a deal. Even the Tecmo Super Bowl halftime show was a marching band. And that was 1991. Well, marching bands were very important at one time when Dave it comes to college Dave knows what I'm talking sports. about. There's marching like three variations of a halftime show. Yeah, but when you, when you uh, actually made the actual Super Bowl in the game, it was the Mighty Bomb Jack show. That's right, the Mighty Bomb Jack show. Mm-hmm. You, guys are speaking, <laughs> you guys are speaking a language that I don't understand. Now, do you want me to keep going? Oh, no, I'm sorry. Go. Number four. Go ahead. I'm going with the... All-time glitch in Houston, the wardrobe malfunction, okay. Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake as number four. Not because it was great, but just because it was so memorable and it potentially got CBS fined so much money. And that was uh, Justin Timberlake's second appearance in a halftime show, which we'll get to maybe later on in this uh, in this rankum list. One, two. Number three. I'm going last night, Bruno Mars. Very good. And okay. I'm going to tell you, I do want to, when I'm done with my list, I want to tell you why I think this. But Bruno Mars, I thought, was very good last night. Basically, if you would, I think when the league says, we want to have this person on, in retrospect, you say thumbs up or thumbs down, it would have been a definite thumbs up. So for you, not really being a huge Bruno Mars fan, what did you like so much about last night's performance? Because that's a huge hurdle to let clear for somebody you don't like. Let me get through my list first, and then I'll tell you, because it's okay. very important. Okay, hold on. Number two. Aerosmith and Britney Spears in Tampa. Fantastic. Great song. Great song and maybe Britney's greatest moment in music. Well, let's crank this up. There aren't many, but this was a good one. This was weird on paper, but it really worked. It was was uncomfortable when it started, and it morphed itself into being cool, and that's a very tough thing to do. At first, you're like, that could be your daughter, Steven Tyler. And eventually, I I, got cool. I'm pretty sure NSYNC came out during this one, too, didn't they? I think you're right. NSYNC, Mary J. Blige. I think Nelly was even a part of it. It was very good. Bandied on his face and everything. I thought it was awful, to be honest with you. Really? I loved it. It was a hodgepodge. I mean, it was a. It was they were they were trying to blend. They were trying to please like three different audiences. If you got the Mary J. Blige over here, you got Britney Spears and NSYNC kind of in the same group over here, and then Aerosmith. And I thought it worked. Kid Rock may or may not. No, Kid Rock was a different year, but Kid Rock totally would have fit with that. Kid Rock here's what that I think. Crew. But here's what I think worked about it. It had the ability to absolutely disintegrate into one of the worst Super Bowl halftimes ever. 
and I think it still ended up being cool. So, but anyway, let's go to number one, and then I'll give you my theory. Number one. Prince. I thought Prince mm. in the rain in Miami was fantastic. Much like with Aerosmith and Britney Spears, Prince walked a fine line that day, yeah. but he didn't cross it as far as the league was concerned, which is very important to them. And I thought it was, and I'm not a huge Prince guy at all. So here's my here's why I put Bruno Mars up there, Prince up there. Basically, some people that I'm not a big fan of, because I've come to realize the Super Bowl halftime show has nothing. It's not like going to a concert. I'm a Petty fan. I love McCartney, right? The Stones. And I know they were all safe acts when they brought them out. But they didn't move the needle for, for me at all. What I saw yesterday with Bruno Mars, or when we're talking about Prince, when you're talking about Super Bowl halftime shows, it doesn't have to do with being a fan of the band or the person. It almost has a, if you go to a show in Vegas, for instance, if you go to a show in Vegas, your expectation, I would say, is very different than if you go see, see your favorite band at the X, for instance, mm-hmm. right? There's an expectation that it's going to be a showman in Vegas and that this is somehow going to be cool. That's become my expectation with the Super Bowl halftime show. It's no longer about, oh, it's Petty, so I love it. No, Petty did a bunch of his songs, and it was fine, but it didn't move the needle much for me. Bruno Mars with the drum solo, all that yesterday, I thought was really well orchestrated. I don't think you need to be a fan of his to say... It was an entertaining Super Bowl halftime show. They backed off the throttle so hard on modern pop halftime shows after the wardrobe malfunction. Oh, they totally did. That they would... brought in all the safe acts. Oh, which, yeah. That was 2004. I like, which I like a lot. I like these acts a lot, but I think they got stale and boring. And Tom Petty doing a medley of songs with the Heartbreakers in Arizona really did nothing for me. I mean, they, you know, Paul McCartney standing up there. It's, it's, it's entertaining enough, but that was, they, they, they said after the wardrobe malfunction, what's the opposite of Janet Jackson? having her top ripped off by bleach blonde Justin Timberlake. Let's go super old school. Rolling Stones was 06. Uh, The aforementioned Prince was 07. Then Tom Petty in 08. The Who was in there, too. Bruce Springsteen was 2009. So really, they didn't get back to... Then The Who in 2010. And that was awful, as I remember. So they didn't get back... It took them seven years to get back to modern pop culture music in a halftime show when they brought in the Black Eyed Peas, Usher and Slash at uh, Cowboy Stadium 2011. And the sole issue Oof-ta. on the wardrobe malfunction was the FCC was cracking down at that point. And so the NFL and the networks got so paranoid mm-hmm. about how much they could be fined for anything that went wrong that they completely went the safe route. And while on paper you looked at those acts and said this should be good, I thought they were just average. And I think these people that bring they bring an actual show, that's the thing is Petty's going to get up there and be Petty. That's who he is. He, there's no real act there. You need someone who's going to give you an act. It looks like Skeletor's up there just strumming a guitar for 12 minutes when Tom Petty's up there. Ah, we'll get by. The Grateful Dead could have played if poor old Jerry Garcia hadn't dropped dead. With flower pattern shirts. Number five. I'll take it here first. Uh, Even though he was one of, he was right in the middle of that long line of safe acts, having seen him now live at the X2, Bruce Springsteen in 2009, he's just so good live in any context that I have to put him on this list. Fantastic. But you're sort of proving my point, which is that the X, he was unbelievable, right? Fantastic. Mm-hmm. Off the charts. Intimate, more intimate atmosphere. At a Super Bowl halftime, he just he's only got X amount of time to do what he does. But like, why not Bruce Springsteen? And he played forever at the X, I'm sure. Why did it take the Super Bowl so long? Because you can go through, you know, 1980, Rose Bowl, a salute to the big band era. No, like, why not Bruce Springsteen in 1981 when they decided to do a Mardi Gras festival instead of... Look on that list. I think until Michael Jackson, Phil, 
the idea of actually bringing in a top-notch entertainer type of guy You're right. or gal didn't exist. Which we will get to. Go! Number four. I got U2, not a huge U2 fan, um, and they were, again, in the safe line of halftime shows, but U2 performed... Let me see here. I think it was 2011. 2002, right 2002. after oh, yeah, right uh, 9-11. That's right. So they were, yeah, yeah, you're right. So U2 was before the order of malfunction, but mm-hmm. U2 was entertaining. Still enough, had to be safe back then. Yep. One, two. Number three. Bruno Mars, number three. He's just, I mean, it's, we're both and again, I'm kind of biased because it was, first of all, it was last night, so it, it's, it's a lasting memory, but I don't think he lip synced it. Pretty sure that was a live performance that was not lip sync because they put variations on what you hear on the on the radio versions of these songs. Whoever came up with the idea for the drum solo to start off with that was cool. That was way cool because it got that actually wrote me in. It's funny because a lot of people misperceive who who and what Bruno Mars does. They think, well, who's this guy with a pomp? I didn't know until last night. Guy with a pomp who sings dumb pop music. No, he's one of the most talented, wide ranging musicians playing right now. Good stuff. Number two. Number two, the aforementioned uh, Aerosmith, Britney Spears. Oh, we're the same. Huge Aerosmith two, fan. three, we're the same. But we're not the same because you left off. Number one. You briefly mentioned it, but the number one greatest halftime performance of all time in a Super Bowl, 1993 Rose Bowl. You're talking about the peak of one of the great dynasties in the NFL, the Dallas Cowboys, putting a whooping on the Buffalo Bills. And you're talking about the peak of maybe the greatest, for sure, a top three musical artist of all time. Michael Jackson. And, it, and like you said, too, this was the first time we ever had a holy cow, massive pop star doing a halftime show at the Super Bowl. It made it feel so much bigger. No offense to Gloria Estefan in 1992 or New Kids on the Block and Disney characters in 1991. Michael Jackson, 1993, was 10 years into one of the greatest careers of all time in music. Gloria Estefan was here, right? At the Dome? Yes. With figure skaters. Wasn't like Brian Boitano a part of that? We came that close to getting Michael Jackson at the Dome? One year different? Wouldn't go that far. We came... Michael Jackson might have refused to come. Michael Jackson might have said, said, uh, I don't know, dude. Uh, Then they completely dropped the ball the year after that. 1994, Georgia Dome. Rockin' Country Sunday with Clint Black and Tanya Tucker. And the Judds made an appearance, too. Tanya Tucker. You know what, though? At, at the time, that might not have been that bad. They, they might have not seen that as being that like, bad. Country now, music, in respect. Country, country music, music is a lot cooler mainstream now than it was in 1994, wasn't it? I mean, 1994, country was still viewed as kind of you know, bleep kicking. What was the next year? 95 was Indiana Jones Temple of the Forbidden Eye with Patti LaBelle. And Teddy Pendergrass, Tony Bennett, Arturo Sandoval, and the Miami Sound Machine. That was Joe Robbie Stadium in Miami. Uh, 1996, Sun Devil Stadium, Arizona. Take Me Higher. Celebration of 30 years of the Super Bowl with Diana Ross. This is just kind of lame. 97 was the Blues Brothers Bash with Ackroyd Goodman yep. and Belushi. Yep, I remember that. ZZ Top performed. That was kind of cool. And then they did a uh, Motown 40th anniversary situation in 1998 with Boyz II Men, Smokey Robinson, some of those dudes. Well, I thought they did a good job last night. I think you're doing and a I'm good job gonna, today, and I'm actually. not going to go out and buy Bruno Mars' CD, but I thought they did a good job. And like I said, I've rethought it now. I no longer need to see people that I like. I want to see a good show. If I have to watch that much halftime, if I indeed am going to watch it, I would rather see a good show than just an artist I like. This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. 
Dude, uh, Brett Dyke just sent us a video on Twitter of the 1992 halftime show at the Metrodome. Oh my gosh. Paul, it starts off with a super corny video of Paul Tagliabue in bifocals. Oh my gosh. The graphics are so ugly, too. Maybe we can put this up on the show page. <laughs> it really is. It's, Bri- it's, it's Brian Boitano. Tagliabue on like a set there that's supposed to look like an office. Who's the other figure skater? Don't it's you Brian love, Boitano. Don't you love graphics that say Paul Tagliabue, Commissioner NFL, and look, and they're just really <laughs> ugly? And they're as simple as it gets. This looks like 1962, not 19. 19- 92. That sweater is pretty fantastic. I know people can't see this, but it's basically right. just the corniest 1990s intro. And the point of the, the tweet was, and it's very accurate, one year away from Michael Jackson, you know, one of the coolest Super Bowl performances of all time, and we get Gloria Estefan singing to figure skaters, Brian Boitano, and uh, Dorothy Hamill was the other one. Brian Boitano would become so more famous when South Park, right? Well, so lame. Anyways, uh, the, com- the commercials last night. Us too, the dome's coming down. And the, the roof is off now, too. They blew it off uh, Sunday. They took the cable supports right off there. The commercials yesterday were kind of a buzzkill overall. Mm-hmm. Did any... I got a list here from Adweek. We can just run down them real quick, and you guys can comment if you saw any of these. Adweek put out their top 10 commercials. And some of these, I might need to have my mind refreshed, but TurboTax did a couple of them. The one where the kid gets... The kid is like watching prom take place, and the dude is making out with the girl he has a crush on. Yeah, and it's like, what if you had to just watch? Yeah, but the the, the main punchline of the whole thing is, hey, you can get a $2,000 refund if you file your taxes on your own through TurboTax or something, yep. which, I don't know, that was number 10 on Adweek's list. Number nine, the Volkswagen Wings commercial. Got to be honest, I saw it, didn't hear much of it. Dave, did you see this one? Yeah, I saw it, don't think much of it. I will uh, stop you for a second and ask this question to both of you. How long, when it comes to the Super Bowl experience with commercials, how long does your attention span last as far as when you really watch the commercials and when you start to sort of watch them, but you start to get up and do other stuff? If they're really good, I'll stick with them. But if, if you get two but are you three... engaged by the fourth quarter as you were no, in the first quarter? Because I always figure that most of the time the best ones are going to be in the first half or maybe the just after kickoff. And plus... If you if you go through two or three commercial breaks with some dud commercials, then you start to check out. Or and, they start replaying them. Yeah. And then they have new ones after that. That always throws me for a loop. I'm always waiting for the new commercials, but then when they start mixing in ones that have played already, even if there's a new one coming up after that, my attention span is weaned. Number eight was my favorite one. According to Adweek, number eight was the Radio Shack commercial, the Back to the 80s commercial. Fantastic. Yes. Because they're basically saying, hey, we're in on the joke, too. We know that you think we're a really outdated company. That we don't exist anymore. I think a Radio Shack, and I feel like it's cassette tapes and VHSs, because that's Radio Shack was cool in the late '80s, early '90s. Big recorders, the big fa- tape recorders. So they had like uh, the dude from um, Twisted, Twisted Sister. They had Eric Estrada Dee comes Snyder. in in the chips yeah. in his chips uniform. Eric Estrada comes in. It's fantastic. It's they a had, great commercial. They had the raisin, the California raisins dancing too. I like that. I like introspection. Tell me that you're you know that you're lame and you're rebranding. I like that. Number seven, the Coca-Cola It's Beautiful ad. I think that's where they sing America the Beautiful in yeah. different languages. Yep. I think you're right on that one. Name. Uh, it was okay. Chrysler's America's Import ad, number six on this list. That was the Bob it. Dylan one. Bob Dylan, Dylan, okay. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it was, okay. Uh, number five was, what's well, two of them? Tim Tebow did two ads yes. last night for T-Mobile. 
Yes, where he's a kid, where he's without a contract, so he can do whatever he wants. Basically, he can be a stunt driver. He can do whatever he wants. He's riding horses and yeah. on the rodeo, riding bulls, still without a contract. That's got to be the end of Tim Tebow's football career for sure, right? Those ads. Well, yeah. I mean, unless he's willing to go to Canada or the Arena League, yes. Number four, according to Adweek, was the Microsoft Empowering ad, where they just show amazing advances in technology. It's kind of a cool ad. Just showed you how blind people can still paint and stuff with technology. I don't even remember it. Number three, Hyundai's Dad's Sixth Sense ad. Now, this is the one where kids were like, the the dad is pulling kids away from disastrous situations where Mm -hmm. kid's about to fall and torch himself on the grill and the dad grabs him at the last second. Kid's about to bash his head on the bricks around the landscaping and the dad grabs him at the last second. And the last clip is the payoff. The kid is staring. It's a 16-year-old kid or 15 years old driving with his dad who's in the passenger seat, and he's staring at some blonde chick out the window. He's about to rear-end a car backing out of a driveway, but the car senses that you're within two feet of the car and it slams right. on the brakes for you. Right. All this is doing is teaching kids, hey, it's okay to gawk on campus because your car's going to slam on the brakes yep. for you. Don't worry. You can be an irresponsible creeper. And don't worry about checking your text now because if you're about to hit a car, the car will stop for you right. while you're texting somebody. That's exactly what this ad is telling kids to do. So I, if your I, wa- attention I want this span car is short, now, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> so basically what it's saying is if your attention span is already short, don't worry about it, pay no attention because the car will help you. Number two is the Cheerios ad. Gracie, or the dad is trying to explain to the girl, mommy's pregnant, so he pulls out little Cheerios and says, you know how our family has you and me and mommy? And then he grabs another Cheerio and says, and pretty soon you're going to have a little brother. And then she reaches into the box and grabs another Cheerio and says, and a puppy. Oh, yeah. This ad would have been way funnier Mm -hmm. if it starred Adrian Peterson. And he's pulling out like eight Cheerios. <laughs> now, terrible. now here's eight Cheerios for your oh. siblings, and here's seven more for your stepmommies. <laughs> You're just terrible. <laughs> number You're awful. Number one was the Budweiser Puppy Love. <laughs> yeah, that's commercial. the one that was leaked last week yeah. all over the place. Or the dog. And it aired and the really late in the game. It aired late in the fourth quarter. I got to admit, I choked up first time I saw it. But, I choked up a little bit, but... Overall, okay, so, the ads were just the ads were but, lame overall. But was last year great? And are we to a place now where because of what you can do on the internet, are Super Bowl ads what they were? No, I, we talked about that. I don't. Yeah, Dave, Dave brought aren't. that up this morning yeah. too. Well, yeah, I was watching the game with a bunch of friends, and one of them absolutely brought up he was spot on. There's no point. I mean, if you've got a gem of an ad, if you've got the funniest ad your company's ever come up with, and uh, you know, you've got this thing ready to run at the Super Bowl, why are you going to pay $4 million for it when, like, as you said, Judd, you can leak it online, aka Budweiser, though obviously they did run the ad, but you can put it online, the thing goes viral within two hours, and everyone has seen it, everyone can watch it again, everyone can send it to their friends who will then watch it again. I, you don't have to pay a dime for that versus your, what, what is it, about $4 million bucks for a Super It's Bowl $4 million bucks for a 30-second ad. You're 100% right. Yeah. With the YouTube age right now, you can, get, you can get 10 million clicks easily. I mean, the Anna Kendrick ad is a great one. The, the Newcastle ad, yep. and Keyshawn Johnson was in that. And we had Keyshawn on week. last yeah, week. Here he was very engaged during that interview, too. Right, Dave? But how much do you think Anna Kendrick made for the Newcastle ad? Because if if so it's, well, if, if Newcastle can't afford $4 million bucks for a 30-second ad that would... How many people will be watching that ad? I don't know. 50 million? 100 million? It probably depends on, on when it airs as well. 
But the other thing, too, is think about think about what you can do online with an ad that you probably can't get past the censors. And it doesn't matter. You can, And it doesn't even mean that you have to have swearing. But the Anna Kendrick thing's funny because she's bleeped out when she's swearing about, what, 50 times? Yeah, you can. I'm, on, I'm trying to find how many clicks this thing is. To, to prove my point, I want to find this. I'm on the Newcastle uh, YouTube page. Let's just say that that thing blows up and goes viral and you get 10 million clicks on it. Right. But you don't have to pay. You, maybe you pay Anna Kendrick a few hundred thousand bucks. That's way that's more it. worth it than a Super Bowl ad. Exactly. Let's go to uh, Trevor in Minneapolis. You're on Mackie and Joe. What's up, Trevor? Hey, guys. My favorite commercial last night, and this one has been getting absolutely no love. I don't know if you saw it. The WeatherTech car floor mat liners commercial. They said you can't build products in America. You can't use American uh, factories. And that's exactly what they did. I thought that was just the most poignant perfect commercial for the Super Bowl, and it's been getting no love. What yeah. do you guys think about that? I totally missed that one. Uh, what? So who who was the company again? WeatherTech Floor Liners. They make, like, custom-fit floor liners for your car. Okay. And it and aired when? Cool. You know what? That aired in the first half. Okay. I do remember seeing a WeatherTech yep. emblem, but I was probably stuffing my face full of, like, little Smokies or something. Thanks for the call, Trevor. Uh, I found this Anna Kendrick ad. It's got 4.2 million hits on YouTube. It's funny. She's great in it. What's the number of people that are, like, what's the peak number of people that watch the Super Bowl? It's got to be like 100 million, isn't it? And actually, hold on, let me see here. So you're not getting... Overnight ratings have started to uh, come out for that game last night. So if this this thing will get up to, you know, 10 million probably at some yep. point. But then again, the ads that air for the Super Bowl are also going viral today. So you're getting you're getting an extra, you're getting a second flow of people watching today on websites like Adweek. If you're going to buy a Super Bowl ad too, are you better off to wait to debut it during the game? Or was what Budweiser did really, really smart, which was you leak it, you have people watch it. And then if you're Budweiser, you can afford it. It's not like you can't afford it. But you leak it, you have people watch it, and then they're almost prepared to watch it again during the game. I think you're better off. I wonder off, if you're better off actually putting it out there. I do think you're better off leaking it because, number one, you're only going to get more eyeballs. It's not like people are going to turn away because they've seen it before. And, in fact, if, if you do a good job... People are going to elbow other people in the living room and say, "Hey, you got to see this commercial. I saw this online I was last say, week." The and you're going to be more engaged like, with when's it. When's it going to air? Yeah, you're going to be more engaged with it. Yeah, this Anna Kendrick commercial is brilliant because she's just gorgeous. I'm I'm hot. You know, I'm not I'm not supermodel hot, but I'm, I'm pretty hot. That's good stuff. Should we do the people segment next? Let's do it. It's the new people segment. Hang on, segment. Uh, just just to let you guys know, mm-hmm. I just looked up the puppy love commercial from Budweiser. Yeah. Yep. They leaked it obviously last week. That's already up to 37 million on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Might be the way to go. Hmm. Of course, that's a much bigger brand than than uh, Newcastle is. Newcastle is right, but sure. but the point is, person. if you're going to buy the ad, are you better off just putting it out there the week before and having people say, "Okay, you got to see this ad when it airs," like you said, as opposed to, "Oh, you're surprised by it." If somebody could tell us via Twitter, just tweet at us at Phil Mackey or at fifteen hundred ESPN Judd, is it has it been made public how much Anna Kendrick made for that Newcastle ad? Because if, if she made two hundred thousand bucks. And you got five to ten million views on YouTube. I bet, she didn't have to pay f- I bet she made less than that. That was so easy to do. Love to know that. Ad lib too. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. Put that in your iPad, smoke it. Mackey and Judd on fifteen hundred ESPN. The hosts are Mackey and Judd, who get to talk for four hours every day about all things sports. They're accused of not letting the fans have their say. 
What you're about to hear is real. The sports fans of the Twin Cities have agreed to dismiss their claim against Phil and Judd and have their opinions broadcast here in our forum, The People's Segment. Yes. How about that? There's your production for you. High quality stuff right there. What do you got for us, Dave Harrigan? The People's Segment. Well, 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 we are going to hear from the people. Uh, First one comes from... uh, uh, Twitter follower and Nathan checking in says, Phil, uh, so you didn't like the uh, Greek Dan and Oikos ad featuring all our boys from Phil House? You know what? House? I did not see that live last night. That I one leaked totally before, f- the, uh, before the game as well. And I guess, the, yeah, the, the reason I didn't think of it is because they already had their main event performance on Jimmy Fallon's show to open up Jimmy Fallon's show a couple nights ago. How was that? It was amazing. They recreated the set from... Michelle, the Olsen twins, played, the character's name was Michelle on Full House, for yeah. those of you who aren't Full House educated. There was just one Michelle, and it was both Olsen twins yeah. would switch off. Mind-blowing stuff. Because of work rules. They, Couldn't work the kid to death. They created, they recreated her bedroom, and Jimmy Fallon was, the show opened with Jimmy Fallon just laying in bed, waking up with pajamas on, scared. The premise was Danny Tanner came walking in, <laughs> Bob Saget. <laughs> Trying to, it was three minutes of... Bob Saget, uh, by the, the way, maybe the most filthy mouth, oh, mouth yeah. in all of Hollywood. <laughs> Full House is is a sliver of... Full House is is the other... Uh, it's, it's the good guy version of yep. Bob Saget. Anyways, Jimmy Fallon was nervous moving to The Tonight Show, and the three guys from Full House, Dave Coulier played Joey, and then uh, John Stamos. They sang him back to sleep. It's kind of lame. And now, then they were both beat, in the Boycos Did it beat too. Fallon's Saved by the Bell reunion deal that he did a couple years ago? Boy. Where uh, Mark Paul Gosler came out of Zach Morris with a big old 1990 cell phone. That was pretty awesome, too. And didn't he play? Didn't I know that John Stamos recreated his band, Jesse and the Rippers. Did Zach Morris also do Zach Attack, a Zach Attack They might have. You know, I don't remember that for sure, but they might have done it. But he it did. was pretty funny. And Gosler, you know what? I give him a lot of credit because... A lot of those guys will never go back and do that stuff. Well, there's two told, who won't. And he totally bought into it. So, A.C. Slater, um, Mario, Mario Lopez, Lopez he, he has agreed to do the reunion. This this set up two years ago, and they just haven't been able to put it together. All right. Mark Paul Gosler has agreed. That. Lisa Turtle, uh, it was Lark Voorhees in real life. Yep. She's agreed. He went on to soap operas. Jesse Spano, Elizabeth Berkeley, has yep. agreed to do it. Screech and Kelly don't want to do it. Apparently, they're actually, just too tough to get a hold of. Well, Screech is, Dustin Diamond's off his rocker crazy. Yeah, he started a porn company, didn't he? Yeah, he's completely nuts. But Kelly Kapowski, you could argue you don't need her because she was added to the show later. And she what? and she was booted off for the final season, or she didn't renew her contract, so they brought right. in the biker chick, Tori. So you don't need her. You bring back the biker chick, Tori. Wait, I thought the biker chick, Tori, was on the earlier shows. No, nope, that was she a different was one. The er- different brunette. Okay. Yep. Okay, because then they did, Kelly Kapowski did come back for Saved by the Bell, the college years, right? Which mm-hmm. was the short-lived NBC show right before she then jumped to 90210. Yes, but Screech went on the VH, what was the VH1? He's, yeah, uh, he's crazy. The, the celebrity version of The Biggest Loser, yes, basically. And he's nuts. Yeah, he's super combative. But he was in the original. If you want to, re- if you really want to redo "Say by the Bell" originally, which was "Good Morning, Miss Bliss," which was in Indiana, Indiana and all of a sudden the same, the same moved, kids go to California, yes, then you would need Screech. So he would be the one guy who you'd want to get, but I'm sure he won't do it. Mister Belding still with us? Yes. Oh yeah. Mister Belding frequents Fort Myers Miracles games. Really? Uh, miracle games? No kidding. You'll see random photos of the some of the play by play guys who've passed through. They'll. They'll take photos of players in the clubhouse with Mr. Belding before Fort Myers Miracle Games. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Dave, I've got news for you. He's not that old, really. He's probably around 60 now, He right? looks like he's 90. 
Mr. Belding? He looks terrible. <laughs> well, if he looks terrible, then Dustin Diamond looks really terrible. He looks awful. And Dustin Diamond was also a co-star. Belding and Screech stayed in for the the future versions of Saved by the Bell throughout the mid-90s, too. They tried to recreate it with oh, yeah. different casts and just didn't work Well, Dustin work Diamond was a teacher then. He was kind That's of a, right, a principal's yeah. assistant the, the or something. The new class or, or something. Yeah. He did, Dustin Diamond did that celebrity boxing when I think Fox was running that. That, too. Mr. Belding, back, too. Mr. Belding, what's wrong? <laughs> that kind Why of do I know like all Jimmy this? Stewart. Yeah, well, that's a kind of... <laughs> Mary! Mary, Mr. Belding! I want to live again! I want to live again, Mr. Belding! Let me live! Let me live! I gotta mention a couple uh, guys that emailed us photos or links to photos. First of all, from uh, Jim. I know this one's circulating. Mackie, you said you just uh, retweeted uh, the photo of the uh, Seahawks GM shirtless in the locker room wearing yes. the WWE Championship belt. Yeah, that's yeah. my guy. With John the look Schneider. on his face. I don't even know what that look is. It's it's almost a drunk look. It's almost I'm sick of your crap look. I don't even know why. It's just he looks like he's odd. definitely a few cocktails in. Yeah, he might have guzzled a few cocktails at the end of the game. But I'm sure throughout the second half, he wasn't too concerned about the Broncos coming back. I think he right. looks like an angry Danny Bonaducci, shirtless in the Seahawks <laughs> locker room, rocking a WWE title belt with pleated khakis. All right, so Mr. Wrestling, I got a question for you. How is it that so many NFL teams seem to have WWE title belts laying around their locker know. rooms? Well, Aaron Rodgers was the first one to really bring it back with with the the title belt celebration after I touchdowns. Think Pat and Kevin Williams had one for a while. Did they? And it was like in Kevin's locker. And they brought it out one time. I thought it was just great fun. Well, These guys around Pat. I think Pat just sort of put it up to a deli. It was like when Yoko <laughs> Zuna won the title <laughs> in the mid nineties. Never the never put it on. But I don't know if this is rumor or if this is actually happening, but apparently the WWE has a show, a house show coming up in Seattle at some point, or like a Monday Night Raw, and they've already reached out to Richard Sherman's agent and have agreed on him appearing at the next WWE event in Seattle, which okay. is just a match made in heaven. Rough Make guess. him cut a promo. Rough estimate right now. How much money did Richard Sherman make for himself when he melted down on Fox for no more than 30 seconds? Well, and then you're right. Combine that. To answer that question, how much money did he make? That combined with the fallout with everyone finding out that he's not like that. That he's a super sharp guy, yep. super charismatic, sharp guy who's not a thug. So people found out who he was yep. because of the Aaron Andrews incident, right. and then found out who he was again if they were paying attention in the last two weeks. Well, let's just give him the the props for having that you know knowledge to say for thirty seconds. I'm going to pull this act. Made himself the whole offseason. He's going to be, he will be the hottest commodity from the Seattle Seahawks, the Super Bowl champion team. Although I don't Hotter think than he, Russell Wilson, yeah. obviously. There's nobody on offense who will. I mean, Richard Sherman I don't know. made have him. You, have you Googled Doug Baldwin today? Rich, Richard Sherman made himself so much money through one simple meltdown. But I don't think it was a conscious decision to melt down for fame purposes. I think he was just jacked up two minutes after making the biggest play of the season. I think it was calculated. He's kind of backed into it. Another photo that was sent to us, uh, this one comes from uh, Joss. Thought you would enjoy it. You guys were talking about the halftime show and whether it was live, uh, lip-synced, the, the general consensus, it was probably a live show. Well, the photo happens to be of uh, Flea, the bassist for uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. His bass isn't plugged in, gentlemen. Is that a euphemism? No, that's not a euphemism. Flea. His base Was he is wearing a sock? Plugged into anything. So that probably means that's, that uh, that's an issue. Although it could it could have been that the Chili Peppers lip synced their Flea. one song and or, Bruno Mars 
Or even they sang it live and just the uh, the instruments weren't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Okay, that means they're getting help. Still. What else you got? Yeah, I've got some good stuff. Let's go to uh, Stephen. He says, best Super Bowl halftime show absolutely has to be U2 post 9-11. If you watch the YouTube of it, you see the set list, Beautiful Day, MLK, Streets Have No Name, Bono opening his coat with the American flag. Yeah, U2... You two and Bruce Springsteen are lumped into the same kind of category. I've I've gotten on board with Bruce Springsteen. Never seen you two live, but people oh, you always say. Oh, you Bank Stadium show? I did not. I thought I was the only person. Were, not, no, I wasn't. But almost but everyone it, but, I know went to that show and said it was fantastic. Because it was raining, and they said it was great. People always say, even if you don't like you two or Bruce Springsteen like on the radio, live. that if you watch them yep. live, it's unlike anything. And yep. I I respect that about Bruce Springsteen. Now having seen him live, and I would assume the same is true for you two. And by the way, that show, doing the post-9-11 show at halftime, you talk about pressure. You talk about having pressure, that would be some pressure. Yeah. Because that was, that was actually important to people. It's got to be a carefully crafted message. You I can't make say, people mad. Right. I mean, you're right. You're right. hundred million people watching in the You country. are right in. Everybody's watching what you do, and it's sort of carrying this important message. That would be pressure. Somebody else chimes in here on Twitter. Uh, Ron B., Tiffany Amber Thiessen, who played Kelly Kapowski, Apparently hurting for money, so she should be more willing to do the reunion. Ron B., by the way, very loyal listener. Thank you, Ron. Well, if he's if she's hurting for money, why wouldn't she want to do a Sabre? Although, maybe it doesn't... I'm, I'm guessing Fallon's Fallon? not paying them money to yeah, show up for the Sabre no, the Bell reunion. It's, a good... it's exposure, though. And Jim on, so twi- Jim on Twitter says, nobody watched this TV show. Actually, pretty sure everybody... Well, everybody under what the age of 50 about? is well aware of Saved by the Bell. Saved by the Bell? Yeah. I actually never saw Saved by the Bell live on a Saturday morning. It was on reruns, though, so much. And I was in my 20s, and I've still seen them all. And you could still watch it for two hours a day if you find the right channels. Let's talk about Peyton Manning, boys. This one's come from Chad. Yeah, he was not very good yesterday. A couple of things, though. Number one, saying he looked like he didn't want to be there. That's a little unfair. Looked like that after they were getting their butts kicked. Honestly, I would want to get out of there uh, as well. And number two, yes, he wasn't very good last night, but I think this game was mostly on the Denver O-line. They couldn't create holes to run the ball. Gave him no time. Almost every mistake he made was when he was on his back right after. Manning was given time. They actually moved the ball. The problem is it only lasted a few plays before he was on his back again. But they didn't move the ball very effectively. And I thought, I thought given what we expected from Manning, I'm sorry, I can't give him a pass. I can't say... Well, the offense, yeah, the offensive line didn't play well. Denver didn't play well. But once again, I'm going to go back to what I've said this entire show, which if you watch that game, Peyton Manning, given what we expect from him, didn't come close to passing the eye test. He didn't. And it's, it's not simple. like this is the first time he's ever faced supreme pressure in a football game. Of course, if you look at all the other times he was pressured that much, it's pretty unlikely he's throwing for 330 and three touchdowns. It just looked like Seattle's defense was the fastest thing he's faced all year. It looked like... He wasn't dictating, because so often he gets up there, and the defense tries to disguise it for him, but he's able to pick out what they're doing, and he's able to dictate. It didn't look like he was dictating at any point in that game until maybe the second half when it didn't matter, and the Seahawks were playing more uh, base formations. I think the fair thing to say would be, after the bad snap to start the game, you expected to have, I don't know, second quarter. At some point in time, you expected him to become Peyton Manning. He never did. Mm Mm-hmm. That's fair, I think. He never became the quarterback who we saw all season long, who we had such high expectations for, and we expected a really good game yesterday from both teams. We never saw we never saw Peyton Manning dictate situations at all. And like I said, you could torture those stats. Like I said. You could torture those stats to say anything you Return want. Return the opening kickoff, like I said. <laughs> you could torture those stats all you want. You can go back and say, Oh, look at the look at the completions. You can say all that, and it doesn't matter. 
Peyton Manning was never in control of that game, but Percy Hovind was. I got to be honest. I, I thought I be when Seattle was only up 8 to nothing after the safety, Denver holds them to a couple field goals. It felt like, wow, Denver weathered a storm. Going into the second quarter here, Seattle just completely blew their chance to blow this game wide open. And I still thought now is where Peyton Manning resets it. They score a touchdown. They at least make it close at halftime. And that's that exactly never my point. Happened. But didn't you? Right. There seemed like there would be a point. Second quarter, third quarter, where Peyton Manning would settle down and become Peyton Manning. And even if all hell is breaking loose around him, and the Broncos are terrible around him, that he would have the wherewithal to say, boys, settle down, here's what we're going to do. You never saw, that moment never happened. They showed, did you see it? it when, I kept waiting for it. It was either at, at 8 to nothing, or maybe it was 15 to nothing. It was probably the down by two touchdowns. and they showed, No, it might have been after the pick six. I don't know, whatever it was. They show Peyton Manning on Some the sidelines. And he's on the phone with somebody up in the booth, whether it was Adam yes. Gaze or somebody. Yep. And yep. the look on his face was, he just said, you know, he ended the conversation and said, okay, and hung up. The look on his face wasn't just, boy, that was a frustrating start. The look on his face was, holy cow, we just prepared for two weeks and didn't expect anything that we just saw in the first how about, 10 minutes of this game. How about if Suhan's right? How about if the Seahawks picked up on something where Manning has some tell with his eyes? Like in rounders? Well, but he's got Oreos at the line of scrimmage. How do we? He's been in the league since '98. Is that right? When he twists the Oreo and how? then eats the top, it means it's a pass play. <laughs> how on earth? But how on earth are we picking up on this now? All, All night, chick, 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 chick. He trapped me. You've never seen rounders, though, <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah. No, I have. I love rounders. All it's, night. It's fantastic. Pay him, Malkovich, right? Pay that man his money, Genius. John Malkovich. He's fantastic. Rounders two is about, in pre-production right talk, now. It is. Yeah. How many years later? 1998, so... That's Manning's they could, rookie year, right? That could have turned into a new Rocky series. They could be on Rounder 7 by now. If you, With that niche of poker player audience, it would have worked. Philip Seymour Hoffman, who passed away yesterday, great character actor. Malkovich, unbelievable, too. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying, how do we pick up all these years later? How do we all of a sudden get a tell from Peyton Manning? Well, that's the genius of Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman is the Peyton well, Manning of defense. might be the genius of the Seahawks coaching staff, too, if they picked Dude, up on p- something. Please tell me, you and I haven't talked about this, please tell me you've watched the eight-minute film session breakdown of Richard Sherman on NFL.com. No, I've never seen it. Okay. As soon as this show's over at I 1 gotta o'clock, go to a meeting. should post this on uh, Well, we can do that, but i got to go to a meeting. Right, daily well, recommendation. Get mad. What kind of a meeting? Is it that rough of a weekend? Very tough. Checking no. yourself back no. in. Oh, yeah. Daily recommendations. See you in a month. <laughs> Coming Mackie and Judd in a, in a month. <laughs> This is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Suggestions, ideas, hints, free advice. Daily recommendations. It's time for Daily Recommendations from Mackie and Judd. Daily Recommendations. Oh, yeah. Yep. Ooh, I like this. What song is this? Oh, it's Mold? It's a... Uh, Star Machine, Bob Mold. Okay. Bob Mold, fantastic. Bob Mold, local guy, too. Cool. Good work there. Again. Well, I guess we'll start. Uh, we're going to give daily recommendations to wrap up our show every day. Might be looking forward. It might be looking back. It and might it's been be... a fun show, by the way. I'm not thrilled about the show name, but the show's been fun. So, number one, the recommendation would be that management continues to let us do a show beyond today. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that'd be Judge nice. Show. That's We'd recommendation that. number one. I'll start there. I'm going to start with this recommendation. NFL teams, listen. Somebody eventually break the mold and wait until after the Super Bowl to hire your new head coach from the Super Bowl winning team. Why is Daryl Bevel, if Daryl Bevel, if you're ever going to give him a job, why should he have to wait till next year when Seattle gets eliminated early 
Is it really? Are you really in that big a hurry to get the guy to the Senior Bowl? Are you really thinking that everyone he might hire is going to be gone? NFL, somebody, somebody set the precedent of waiting until after the postseason to hire your head coach. Don't you think the problem isn't as much about Daryl Bevel, but it's about who his assistants would be? Because so many of the top assistants and coordinators, if you wanted Daryl Bevel with North Turner, well, North Turner's not going to wait two weeks to maybe be the offensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns. Well, it's a bad example because he was you, the offensive but coordinator. What if you but start, what if you start to change that culture? What if you get guys to start? And by the way, if Daryl Bevel can tell you, hey, I'm almost sure I'm going to get the Vikings job. It's just going to be after the Super Bowl. If you like Daryl Bevel enough and want to be on his coaching staff, mm-hmm. wouldn't you just wait it out? Well, you'd want to interview him. Like Adam Gaze wasn't even taking interviews, so that's that's kind of if that he wanted to be a coach, I, that's downfall. I agree. I want to. But inter- Bevel was taking them. If I'm interviewing the Mike Zimmers of the world three weeks ago, I want to be able to interview Bevel around the same time, so I'm not waiting three weeks and stringing a guy like Zimmer along before I even interview Bevel. That's the problem, right? Too. But Phil, they talked to Bevel before they talked to Mike Zimmer. They talked to him, right? So if you want him, my point is, if you want him, I think somebody's got to change this whole thing of oh, we got to be in a hurry, we got to get our guy here. Senior Bowl support. No, if you really want a guy for five, six, seven years, if you want a long term solution, a head coach, and you think he might be the coordinator on a Super Bowl winning team, where you can, by the way, steal some pretty good ideas, mm-hmm. someone eventually is going to wait this out. When you first met Daryl, Be- did you know Daryl Bevel at all before covering him with the Vikings? I covered him. Uh, I talked to him a couple times when Bay. I was in Green Bay. Well. So take your and time I with he was him there. Favre's, Favre's coffee boy at the time. Yeah, th- well, that's my question to you. Did you? Because he will be a head coach at some point in a year from now, two years from now. He's going to get a shot. Yes, Might not work out, but he's going to get a shot. Yep. Did you think he was head coaching material three years ago, five years ago? I did not. But talking to people and hearing stories about him, um, I'm much more optimistic on him now than I was when he was with the Vikings. I thought there was no way he was head coaching material until after 2006 and 2007, and then into 2009. Granted, Favre was here, but Bevel had a lot to do in the play calling because mm-hmm. Childress was bad at it. That was the first time I ever got a notion that this guy might be, and I'm saying might be, not for sure, was head coaching material. I'm going to give a daily recommendation for teams to follow the ways of the Seattle Seahawks. Follow the new aginess of Pete Carroll and company. Implement team meditation and team yoga sessions. Implement neurotopia brain performance testing. Go a level deeper than you're going right now, because uh, if Seattle is the Google of the NFL right now, you don't want to be the Friendster or the MySpace. Look around the room right now. Which social media network are you, Minnesota Vikings? What's your guess about the amount of teams that will not only look at what the Seahawks have done, but start to adopt some, not all, but some of what they've done? A lot will. It's just like baseball, when the Oakland A's and when the Boston Red Sox start implementing some things. And the Red Sox, the only reason why they've won, well, not the only reason, but the prime reason why they've won now three World Series in the last decade is because they've taken the best of the old school. We're going to take the best scouts, and we're going to combine them with the best new aginess in an old school ballpark, too, and a lot of money. And that's going to be the recipe for success. Give me a prediction. Local team, first local team to adopt new age strategies. Football? Or are you saying no, just, I'm saying, oh, you got oh, the I Twins, you got the Vikings, the first local Well, the Twins team, have done more of it. They've done more, but to really embrace it. The Twins, I think, just hired two more full-time advanced metrics guys. I know, but like who's, the first, to get a G- who's the first to get a GM here that says, this is how we do things now, and you say, wow, this is different? The Wild. Interesting. No more Chuck so Fletcher? The Wild. Well, it, I'm not saying he's going to get fired. I just said the Wild. Or maybe the Wolves a little bit more. I could see the Wilfs going in that direction if this incarnation of things does not work out. Hopefully this incarnation of things works out. We'll, Amen. Uh, we'll try it again tomorrow. Sounds Maggie good. and Judd.